I always used to give Owen Sheehan a good bit of grief for his power rankings. They aren't easy, Will. As a group, as players, we have not done one minute of video analysis of any team this year. The Club Championship Show. Subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Woke up this morning and thought, oh yay, the football's back. It's been a long time away. And then I realised it's not. The football's not back today. We have another 24 hours to wait. What's going on? Do you know what it is though? Culture Christmas, hey. Hey. Oh, the Immaculate Conception. I did forget, yeah. It used to be a school holiday the 8th of December. Yeah, they stopped doing it. Yeah, they stopped doing this. Why did they stop doing it? I don't know. I mean, I mean, not that I'm in favour of... Religious reasons? I mean, look, I'm all in favour of the desegregation. Yeah. But, um... A lot of checkered shirts and brown shoes around Grafton Street today, I would imagine. <laughs> um, all ra- looking around Brown Thomas. Culties all go, they all go Northside, they're all Arnott's. Fair now, enough. The, now the Cleary's gone though, you know? They'll yeah, be like, where's yeah. the clock? I don't know what time it is. Where's Trafalgar? Yeah. Where's Nelson's column? Um... You guys at Trafalgar Square. Yeah, I was about to say Trafalgar Square. <laughs> One of those other ones. Um... <laughs> But yeah, uh, no, it's it's a nice little it's a nice little niche niche thing, and I'm allowed to say culture Christmas because I'm, you are one. Because I'm a culture. Yeah, but technically at home I'm a tiny. I'd say I'd say everybody thinks we all are. Well, everyone, uh, I think most people from Dublin think non-Dublin people are cultures. Yeah, no, no, you're no, from no, Cork City. I'm from Monaghan. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get most offended when I'm called a culture because I'm like you know, ah, I'm, I'm from a big city. You're kryptonite. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> just my no, one. Never have just my that. one. Yeah, one of your kryptonites. No, my one. Yeah. Speaking of culture. Is, is is Roy Keane a hypocrite? I think was one of the themes of, of the um, news round last night. I think people are deciding. I think Roy Keane was joking about the... I did. I, I said it at the time. I thought he had that twinkle in his eye where he didn't care about the dancing. No, he did, yeah. The second time around he did. He said his joke first, the strictly bit, and then they went around to him again. He was like, no, genuinely, I don't like it. Mm. Uh, he meant it. He didn't mean it. I got the vibe that he meant it as well. Uh, wasn't wasn't there the other one where he's like, ah, oh, celebration's too much, a bit over the top. Yeah, he has said that? that before. Yeah. yeah That's on yeah, Sky, yeah. 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 What was, it, what was that about? Was it Aston Villa staying up not yeah. avoiding relegation? It was, oh, the, it was yeah. the year uh, Greedish scored against West Ham away last day of the season. A bit over yeah. the top. A bit over the top, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're treated to this amazing video yesterday evening from ITV Football, which we have available. Here we are now on screen. Lovely weather for it as well. ITV Football. T- uh, that pass, whoever they give that, that pass. Keen, that's Keane's pass. Own goal. Keane follows up, so it's slow motion here, folks. Right, Keane, come on in. Pork and a terrible connection. It's an own fun. goal, no? Own goal by one of the ITV staff, I think, is it? Or is that Gary Neville? See, we've no angle to know whether it was going in. Uh, it's BBC. It's ITV versus BBC, is it? And that's What's it. the media game? And this is where it really yeah. gets going here, Roy. He immediately that's the yellow card. Shirt yeah, off. That's the yellow card. Check yeah. out. It takes their flexibility he here. Oh. Jesus. You've no doubt that he's actually already been booked as well, so that's a last minute winner. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's red card. Yeah. But you can tell that they were, they were definitely taking it very seriously. Like those those games get quite intense, five sides, especially oh, media yeah. on media. You wouldn't lose that competitiveness. I forgot that you're actually still an athlete and playing at a high level. High level, I don't know. On um, in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Roy could do a job at, at Sunday League level, I'd say, still. Well, uh, for you know, opening the kimono a little bit here, uh, mm. poor Brian Gartling was like press gang yesterday. You could come on, come on, play for us. Come on, come on. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure your teammates are all like, what are you doing, Shane? We're like, I play in that position. <laughs> yeah, Brian would do a job at centre half. We have a few, we have a few good centre halves. One of them is a former League of Ireland player as well. So, like, all right, we're, we're, we're reasonably okay in that position. He'd be delighted that you were recruiting behind his back. <laughs> we want to win the league. I'm the captain, Jerry. I have to recruit. All right. So, you're not allowed to play five a sides. Uh, oh no, we would be like we would be. 
uh, well, technically, you don't take it seriously enough to like rest up between. We wouldn't. We wouldn't play five, five side too. I mean, I suppose if they're if they're looking at your Instagram, uh, they realise that you're not taking it seriously at all. <laughs> I, I did. London. I did make a, a schoolboy error um, a couple of weeks ago, where uh, the manager of a successful club side, uh, I was chatting to him, and I was like, "Oh, you all had a good time afterwards." He's like, "What do you mean?" And uh, somebody else was like, "Don't be hanging the players." I was like, "Oh, their Instagram has been lit." I was like, "What?" I'm like. <laughs> uh, so you can't, you can't be... Yeah, can't be too careful these days. Celebrating players, put the Instagram down. Mm, yeah, don't be, too, don't be too wild on it. Um, and Roy Keane, of course, famously had the Instagram and then got rid of it. So he was... He was Did like, he get rid of the Instagram? Oh, he got rid of it, didn't he? He's not on Instagram anymore. No. Yeah, he's not on. He, uh, he was on it and was brilliant on it. And then uh, I think he was like, ah, oh, no, that's enough. Well, it was his daughter who instigated it. Yeah. Table, I, I know, I'm fairly sure that he's gone. No, he's not, he's not on Instagram anymore. Because she was his uh, social media team. Because yeah, people yeah. were asking him, oh, who were doing your posts, they're brilliant. And he was like, uh, my team, my team. Just my daughter, she's my uh, social media manager. But it was him that, who was that posting is a team. That counts as a team, Roy. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Having somebody to do it for you is counting as a team. No, he posted everything himself, but it was, uh, right. she was the editor. Right. She sub-edited everything. Right, yeah. She was the boss, in fairness. Yeah. Um, for defamation and stuff. Uh, right, so uh, hypocrite, is that what you're, you're, everybody is like? Ah, yeah. No, 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 obviously not. I mean, uh, yeah, hypocrite for, like, it was funny. But if, he's absolutely not a hypocrite. Like he was thought, like it was in the context of the seriousness of celebration because it's a competitive game. He was just messing around here with the lads. Sure. What we're seeing is you know the real Roy Keane, the virtual commas that people talk about. This he's actually a great character yeah. and a lot of levity when he takes him away from the competitive side of football. Yeah. That's the other side of Roy. If, the dancing thing has become a really big story. Go on. What were you going to say? If you're playing five side, that's your job to score goals. Literally, that's his job. So like to kick it off the defender who will then cannon it into their own. Exactly. Net. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. No, no. It was the pass over the top by him, which was lovely. Lovely. I don't know if that was it him that no, gave the pass. 100%, yeah. Can we play the video again? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we have um, it. Uh, no, no, in, in discussion yeah. here with their sound engineer. I, I wasn't so sure. I was doing analysis in the video last night. I wasn't sure if it was him that gave the the, pre, the prior pass over the top. But like the, the finish was. I'll put a request in to replay the video there. And, uh, <laughs> it was one of the. It was a scruffy enough. It was a scruffy enough finish. I thought. And then we of course don't have the angle to see what it was going in the bottom left hand post. The fact that it was Michael Richards and goals <laughs> kind of added to it. I think. Yeah, what's he doing in goals? I mean, he's still young and fit. Oh no, that's the uh, next man in. Yeah, so Richards yeah. Oh, is like, yeah. oh, let this in. But then it turns out that it was golden goal. It was like next goal wins. And <laughs> Heads uh, the jersey off. We know too much about this. We do. Actually, yeah, we know too much about this. The bit's over, isn't it? <laughs> Are we going to roll it one more time? Just to see yeah. who, who gave the, the prior pass. I don't think it was a. It was someone in a white t-shirt. So here we go. Look, so, look. There's the white t-shirt. That's, sorry, that's right. Sorry, that's right. That's right. right. That's right. right. That's right. right. Aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And he came in pretty quickly then to get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you don't lose the competitive edge. Like, now, who's yeah. that? Is that a kind of Scotland jersey next to him? I'm more impressed yeah. by that. Anyway, for our radio listeners, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're watching a video on, on YouTube again yeah. and again. Yeah. And again. Uh, ITV's Twitter page, just to ensure that they get the credit. But yeah. No, look, everyone's seen it. It's gone viral overnight. Beautiful palm trees in the background, yeah. Uh, the dancing thing has become a massive story. It has. Well, the Brazilian players and uh, management have they've responded to well they keep getting asked about it, you know? yeah. it, it but it, I mean it's interesting how like the the analysis on ITV becomes a global story this is I, I just think it's a an interesting cultural pheno- phenomenon where everything he says well it's just mad isn't it Casemiro coming over to give him a hug <laughs> when he signs mm. United fans will love on that though because it's Casemiro yeah but like the, Casemiro you know? Is he wearing number 16 as well, Casemiro? It was like the pass. Oh, is batten. he? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, I'm not sure. It's either 16 or 18. Well, that's different. It's 18. 18. 18. 18. 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I yeah, guess but, goals, but I won't take Keynes. Oh, but Casemiro is like a student of the game and goes and yes, watches the last. But, but now it turns out him. some random throwaway comment on the ITV coverage has has been the main I, one of the main talking I points. I didn't mind that being a talking point. It was the it was him turning around after the England goal and just writing something down while Neville and Wright celebrated behind him. And he just literally Kane scores the goal, he turns around, writes something down, and everyone's like, oh, Roy Keane didn't celebrate the England goal. Look at him, he just turns around and writes. But I mean, what do you expect? Wright and, and Neville are two former England internationals. Of course, they're going to celebrate an England goal. Of course, Roy Keane's not going to because he's Irish. And he's going to turn around and take his notes. He's paid there. He's literally paid to be there to do analysis. So why would he do anything else? Um, he probably noted something from the goal in his head. He wanted to write it down. I mean, I analysis. think he's writing F, F, yeah. F. <laughs> Circle. Fair. Potentially. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's writing down anything amazing. It's like... No, he just wants to be seen to not be... Now, 16 or 17 years since I saw the Queen of France and the Dauphin as the No, um, yeah, but I, I just... Anyway, look, we can move on, right? But um, the, the dancing became a thing. Brazil have explained it. It has been one of the narratives. Maybe, it, maybe it, is it a narrative in Brazil? Are, are Brazilian so. fans talking about? Are the Brazilian fans talking about it? No, okay. Jojo has not heard much. He's no, tuning no, out. No. Just, no noise, just the matches. It's fair enough. But they're, they're purposely choosing it to make it a story, aren't they? To keep uh, it inflames them. Like it's a source of motivation. Mm. Somebody's looking down upon us. If you're ever doubting the desire for Brazil to win this World Cup again, so yeah. Brazil there's are delighted. Fuel. Roy Keane did this, is what you're saying. Well, there's more fuel. He's going to be well, I, a, a key moment in a successful World Cup. Yeah, mm. I finally. Think it's, well, it's very easy to decide uh, who you're going to support here. It's clearly the Brazilian celebrations. Yeah, I don't think they care. I don't think the Brazilians care, and they're just like, well, we're just going to keep doing it. Yeah, they said they dance off the bus, like they, they play drums off the bus, and they dance in the bus before they get off. They dance between the bus and the dressing room. They dance in the dressing room. They dance coming onto the pitch. It's just a Brazilian way. Let yeah, yeah. I, I think his point was it was uh, it was disrespectful to the opponents when they were hammering them. Ah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, and, but I'm, I'm not even talking about that. What I'm saying is that it's really interesting that this one person somehow becomes a, a massive global story at the time when this team are doing stuff that we haven't seen in a long time. They're so good, hmm. and that's it's just weird to me that like the analysis has become massive. No, I don't, think, I don't, no I don't think it's that strange because the quotes would have been pushed to Tiche and other members of the Brazilian staff and then they would have been well I completely but disagree like with that but like Graham Suna said it Didi Hamann said it no one cares uh, but it was yeah but I mean look they would have understood the power of social media that well, clip well, very quickly went viral that's what I'm saying very quickly yeah yeah and, that's, and so of course they picked it up on it but I don't think it's any surprise you're saying it's weird it's not weird at all it, it makes complete sense well, it's it went Roy Keane has ascended media. to the level of being yeah. literally dominating the World Cup uh, uh, news agenda that's mad oh it's more the power of social media so no, the Roy, no, Roy Keane is a no, charismatic voice he garners loads of Gary views. Neville, if Gary Neville had said it, I don't think anybody... I think I, maybe Gary Because Gary Neville would have qualified it better. That's the thing with Keane, because he's so blunt. I so think it's he alienates so many people. I think it's because it's Keane. Keane's a cultural anyway, Yeah, but that's what I mean. And then it's put to them, so Let's, it makes complete sense. Okay. YouTube comments. Uh, YouTube.com forward slash off the ball. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, because um, we're going to make it so that you have to be subscribed to leave comments in the next couple of days. But anyway, uh, that's coming down the road. In the meantime, there's other news overnight. Uh, Roy Keane's former boss... Martin O'Neill has been speaking on Talk This is long enough, but it's interesting because he's talking about Rice and Grealish. He's got a new book out. He's joined Twitter, which I'm very surprised about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to uh, go and see what he's doing. And um, have a listen to this. If someone gives me two minutes, I'll, I'll tell you exactly. Number one, um, first of all, you can't coerce players into into becoming international international players. He's actually not right about this. I played, I played Declan Rice three times in three, in three friendly games. Friendly. He, he was only a young kid. He played in three friendly games at senior level. He was terrific in the games. 
Declan Rice, it's as simple as this. Declan Rice wanted to play for England. Do you think that Declan Rice now at this minute, having a, now going to play in the quarterfinal of the World Cup at this minute, still a young man, having played for West Ham for the number of games, do you think that he's regretting making the decision that he wanted to play? He's born in England. It's really as simple as this here. You cannot coerce people. You cannot just f- bring them into a, an international game of... Um, a serious international game, I'm talking about a competitive game, where the minute that they play a competitive match for the, for the country, that's them, that, that's them announcing that they're going to be playing that. That was never going to be the case. You can't deceive people into playing in these games. You cannot, you cannot force people into doing that. Jack Grealish was exactly the same. Jack Grealish was in my early stages of, of international management. I go to see Jack Grealish, I go to see his dad. Jack Grealish was born in England. And Jack Grealish did play some some underage football for the Republic of Ireland, which he loved doing. But eventually, when you have to make a decision, that decision was made by Jack Grealish and his father. His father's also English as well, too. Mm. So listen, you might I go back to last week. you might go back to heritage as well. But that that that's what they wanted to do, and I'm not going to disavow them of that. What would have happened if you tried to play either one of them in a full I, international? I would match. never have done it. I, would, I, I couldn't possibly do that because number one, one, that would be wrong for a start. Secondly, it's not as if they don't know the rules. The players know the rules and the players' dads know the rules. It's really a simple, it couldn't be more simple. That's Martin O'Neill talking with Jim White on TalkSport. Mm. So go on. Well, it's no surprise that he's reacted like that. Like the audio came in this morning, there's, there's, it actually goes on, it's under four minutes, people will probably catch now as the day goes on, but like, this is very much the defiant uh, Martin O'Neill that we've all come to know with each passing year and of course he's going to defend his decision that he couldn't coerce these two guys who were born in England and wanted to play for England all along that they were never going to declare for Ireland uh, look it, there was an opportunity for O'Neill to kind of force that upon them if he brought them on in that match when they were available and he didn't and so they're playing for England now but I'm not surprised at all by O'Neill's take but it's really interesting to me that a couple of years removed from his position as a public environment manager that he's still so passionately defensive of that situation I had the anger I had the anger kind of quelled and very deep down in my body when, when about the whole Grealish Rice stuff and then when he talks there and, and like okay they never had any intention of playing for Ireland and I know Kev has said this on the show before like the fact that as he said there Rice took three friendly caps mm. from other players like that's the that's the part that makes me still angry. Like they're caps that someone who's a, a fringe player could have made. So hang on though, right? Like I know it's only a friendly, but I mean it's okay. an international cap. I think I think that, that I, for me that's a bit of a red herring, right? Um, I'm not sure that O'Neill is correct when he says they never had any intention of playing for Ireland because obviously they did have some intention because they did play up to a certain point, but at, at a certain point they had their heads turned, right? And so. Rather than rather than Declan Rice playing forty times for us and, and pulling out loads of squads over the years, right? I remember Declan Rice did didn't he tweet you after Ah or up to Ah? He did on yeah. our Instagram reply, I think. Was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe he was he was getting on board. Maybe we would have sucked him in and turned him into one of us by whatever Paddy Wackery would have taken to do that. Um, is O'Neill not right that ultimately not forcing them to play when they didn't really want to when their heart wasn't in it? That we were bitching and moaning at the time, it seemed like just put them on, 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 put them on. Give mm. yours, we'll have them. Like now, at at a remove, I might have changed my mind on this. Do you really want to blood suck somebody into your country who's like not that keen, 
who's a little bit iffy. But the second he plays a competitive game, he has to be king. Well, but... It's, it's over. He has to play for us. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. And they, he didn't play a competitive game. Um, yeah, I don't think... I think at the time... What's oh, the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? <laughs> Forget about the players. From, 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 O'Neill's just talking about O'Neill. The mor- yeah, the morally right thing to do is to let him choose and, and, of course, play for the country that he desires to play for. Yeah. But the, the, the Irish bias perspective, which is probably where I'm coming from here, is get him into a competitive game as soon as possible before he even realises what's happened. I think we're forgetting the fact it's that... It's a bit uh, Pied Piper. It is, yeah, it is. Mm. At the time... It's selfish. Come with me, little children, and play some international football. <laughs> oh, it'll be nice. They do the whole show. Like, you know? that was impressive. Is that... Is that, um, is that a leprechaun, was it? Yeah, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah. It's like Gaza, pie, Gaza, Gaza celebration for Rangers. Yeah. Um, that was sideways. Yeah. Uh, Slightly different. Declan Rice and Jack Reed, I think we're forgetting at the time, were obviously far less established. And I would imagine that when they were called up to play for senior international football, that they were absolutely thrilled and would have happily come on to play for Ireland. That well, it was only later Grealish, on that they were like, oh, we can play for England. In fairness to Grealish, he never, he never did, right? Grealish didn't go anywhere near as close as... Grealish kept pulling out of squads. He would be named. And so it was clear at that stage mm. that he really wanted to. And... I don't blame anybody who's young for... Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean. Keeping the options open. The YouTube commenter here, Carrick United, puts it best. Rice should never have accepted the senior call-up. Grealish did it right by not accepting. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they're also kids. They're like, kids. I don't agree with that at all. Like, I think that they, at the time it made total sense to go up. Like, the, sure, Rice wasn't to know what was going to happen in his career and he became this fantastic player and then he was able to play for England, which was, okay, his preferred choice, but he would have happily played for Ireland given the opportunity. I, I found at the time this debate and this like, massive arguments that we're having very tiresome even then. I have absolutely no ill will whatsoever towards Declan Rice, Jack Grealish. But to Martin O'Neill? For not for not putting them in exactly that, that, that that's who I would I'd be like why didn't you just play them because our, like Phil Egan was talking in the office earlier was like I think it's half a dozen of the England team that um, easily beat Senegal the other day could have played for Ireland and it was like can you imagine in a in an alternative universe how amazing the Republic of Ireland team would be and like Jack Charlton took advantage of that rule in the eighties and nineties and we had a brilliant side and like this could have been us so if anything it was like O'Neill should have brought him on and I don't think there was any moral conundrum the players were there representing Ireland at the time bring them on they're available they want to be there they but, played but, and then things changed over time but I've no will towards Rice or Creedish well, so you're, you're, you do, you do you, so the start of that conversation was like I think he's wrong he's talking about an Irish fan who texted in to talk sport about why didn't you play them it's basically your point there even now having listened to him you still think O'Neill did wrong by us the country by not picking them by him for his own managerial sake his team would have been so much better bringing them on it wasn't like we were flourished with amazing talent but it's not everywhere. the right thing to do to get somebody in who is but uncertain or who is like but we don't know if they were uncertain at the time at he, the time he shouldn't have been in the squad like, then if he's uncertain I, I, I don't blame Rice or Grealish at all for wanting to play for England like they, they might end up winning a World Cup I don't think there was any uncertainty I they think were, you bring them into the environment up. to see if you can uh, if you can give them some certainty, if you can uh, lay down a, a, a point, and maybe when they got there, they felt like it wasn't it wasn't good enough for them, or it didn't it, they didn't. I don't know, you know. Um, um, but uh, it is a, it's a very complicated. Uh, the, we're we're very uncomfortable with the notion of dual identity and two passports here because it's like you're all duck or no dinner. You can only be the four green fields or screw you. But actually, it's become a far more complicated, interesting place mm. to live as a result of. Um, of the net migration and, and um, immigration that we had over the last number of years. Ireland's a far better country to live in as a result of all that. And sometimes we're going to lose players who, who don't want to stay. Like there's, there's some um, brilliant young Polish players who are 
being picked by Poland at underage level who were born here, who grew up here and have Polish parents. And I'm like, fair enough. You know, they've mm-hmm. obviously been scouted really well. And like the Moroccan team we've just seen and the Algerian team we've just seen have had players born all over the world. And the scenes are incredible. And when Ireland do finally do something, those scenes are going to be incredible all over the world. And part of the p- price to pay for that is that players are going to leave. I, I don't, yeah, I don't blame... I don't blame Rice or Grealish because they were, as we say, young and they, they have people whispering their, in their ear saying, you might make it bring them. Gareth Southgate specifically, he says. Yeah. O'Neill says, Southgate came and met him and at the same time I was meeting them and the two of them, two of us were sitting there night after night like speed dating. It's like, will you, will you go yeah. steady with me? But, but, it's, <laughs> but it's, it's a risk for them because they don't know if they, can, if they are going to reach their potential. Now, in, in the case of Rice and Grealish, as it turns out, they did and, and became full in England internationals. Um, and important members of that England squad as well. So it might have turned it might have turned out that way. It, it might have turned out that Rice ended up with two England caps and, and no more, and regretted for the rest of his days not declaring for Ireland. It's a um, testament to how. Brilliant I don't think Rice he would have regretted it in that instance because he it, made a cap or two. Well, because it, it, it's like he felt like it was the right thing for him to do. He had he had he had like I don't think it's an easy thing to turn your back on the team when you're like kissing the badge and Instagramming up the ra. Like it yeah. was, he was fairly far in, but something inside him was like, actually, is, you know. And, and O'Neill keeps talking about I met the parents, and they're 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 they felt English, you know. I think I think we just have a we just have um, a little bit of PTSD when it comes to seeing play like see, seeing the likes of Rice kissing the badge and, and saying up the round on Instagram and all these. You're like, oh, this guy's Irish. He's fully Irish, and then the fact that he goes off to England, specifically England. I think if if Rice had 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 Australian ancestry or Scottish ancestry and gone off to play for them, we wouldn't even we wouldn't talk about it anymore. It would it wouldn't matter. It's because it's England it's that we point. care. That's the only reason we care. It's because yeah. it's England. Well I don't care anymore. Oh, yeah, it's tired. Like, Neither do I. I. I'm annoyed at talks so I brought it up again, so we're talking about it again, but it's so it's so cut and dry for me, like it was like at the time Declan Rice this young promising footballer was brought up to a senior international squad would have been delighted to play for Ireland it didn't happen then he became much much better very very quickly became one of the star, star English players in the Premier League and then Gareth Southgate took notice why don't you come play for us country of your birth yeah no problem at all that's great and now Rice is like thank God that happened and I never ended up playing for Ireland because I played for this brilliant England side mm. where we got to a Euros final and we have a chance of winning the World Cup like he, an amazing an amazing trajectory for Rice all because he wasn't brought on. Like, fantastic for him. I have absolutely no problem with Rice's decision. Yeah. Like, at the time it made sense to play for Ireland. It never happened. And now it made sense to play for England. Yeah, I, 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 having heard O'Neill's point today, I no longer hold him solely responsible for this not happening. I feel like it's morally the right thing to do, not to press gang somebody into playing for you who has a little bit of doubt. And I think the whole point of putting him on the bench is to try and get them into your system and show that this, this is going to be really good for you and actually you could feel like this is an expression of your identity as complicated as that might be this isn't straightforward come and join us and th- that didn't work and they turned around and went actually you know what I don't want to do this I think that's like you know our midfield three could have been oh. Declan Rice Jack Reedish and Calvin Phillips Harry Kane could have been up front Jude Bellingham Callum Wilson could be another option up was front. Bellingham was that Bellingham, real was it just did they not just have an Ireland jersey knocking about I thought he had uh, ancestry I think it's ancestry inside yeah, mm. yeah. Um, him, Harry Maguire centre half don't knock him would have used them happily. I mean he wouldn't have got ahead of of course Darrow Shea and, and John Egan but you know right 
be a good bench warmer. 7.53 this morning. It's competition time. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival takes place from December 26th to the 29th. It's a great day out for sports fans, socialites and thrill seekers alike. Sports fan, socialite, thrill seeker. There you go. Every day this week, we have two hospitality places for the Leperstown Pavilion to give away. You get a reserve table, lunch, chat, and tips from top tipsters and much more. Are you laughing at that or what? You're the socialite. Yeah. Would you describe yourself as a socialite? Not anymore. Best socialite. My days are over. I would have loved to have seen that. That would be a good documentary. Netflix. I'd like to put myself under all three of those brackets. No, Shane. No. You're, you're the thrill seeker, climbing mountains and jumping out of planes. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. You haven't yeah. climbed the mountain in ages. I didn't want to At least the, a year. Didn't run the Rockies in the summer. What? The, the highest mountain, the second highest mountain in North America, highest in the Rockies. It's pretty tall. Mount Did you have to bring it up? Colin. I mean, I was, thank you, Colin. I mean, by the way, he's also been to this Bagram Bridge. Do you want to hear that story? <laughs> what? Did you? Do? <laughs> to how enter, was the, how was the weather? <laughs> to enter, simply comment with a shaking hands emoji. <laughs> how long is it going to take us to get to the peaches? I'm, um, yeah. I'm going through them in my head. The most obvious emojis. If anybody wants to suggest an emoji in the comments, please do. Uh, they're all going to suggest eggplant. The poo emoji as well. Oh, it's don't uh, keep it, it's funny. To enter, simply comment with a shaking hands emoji on our main Twitter page, at Off The Ball, and you're automatically in the hat. And remember to ensure your DMs are open. That's how we contact you. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival, December 26th to the 29th. Tickets from €35 Euro are available at leopardstown.com. If you're a YouTube uh, watcher in the mornings, would you prefer us to do these competitions on YouTube than Twitter as a matter of interest? Oh, we actually have more subscribers on... YouTube than we do on Twitter. Yeah, but don't ask that. Oh my God, why did you say that? Because first of all, they're going to say yes, of course, because oh, it's easy. Oh, it's really, it's, it's actually very difficult you have to people, comb through all the peaches. For me to contact the winner on YouTube, and uh, it's much easier to do it on Twitter. So keep watching on YouTube. No, we're going to go to we're Twitter. We're migrating, don't worry. Well, if you're subscribed, it's not. We can so just subscribe anyway for all the great content. Well, but for the competition purposes, please ignore what you're saying don't. and go to Twitter, because I'm the one who has to deal with it and not sure. The camera's on Jarn, it shouldn't be better than me. I have to deal with it and not sure. Please right. go Twitter, but keep watching on YouTube. We're moving on. <laughs> we're, we're airing the family's dirty living in, in public again. Right, I'm delighted to be joined now by David Moran of Cairns Rallies and Kerry ahead of Saturday's 2022 AIB Munster GA Football Senior Club Championship Final against Newcastle West of Limerick. The AIB GA All-Ireland Club Championship features some of the hashtag toughest players from communities all across Ireland. Now it's in its 32nd year supporting the club championships, AIB is extremely proud to once again celebrate the communities that play a role in sustaining our national games. David, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm good, I'm good. How are yourselves? I hope your emoji game is strong, is it? <laughs> I won't even go into that one. <laughs> um, I'm out of my depth, but judging by your conversation. How many, uh, how many um, different team WhatsApp groups are you in as a matter of interest? Uh, there's kind of the, the two tiers. There's the ones with the management in it and the ones with the players only. <laughs> that's, that's the one with the better crack I'd imagine you can say what you want um, I suppose I'm two to club and two to carry right and the ones with the managers is that like literally lads training is this time this time or do they actually send in is that where you get your videos of analysis and stuff as well uh, no we've come with different platforms for that uh, it's kind of general logistics a lot of it or if there's people unsure about training if they want to have a message that um management to play it wouldn't just be management to be backroom staff or you know it'd be everyone um but it's more logistics more than anything um and is that a pain like is that because that's obviously changed since you came in first (laughs) being always contactable all the time and you know the way you can turn off um whether or not you're you were last seen that that's another like little dangerous thing on some last seen 10 past four it's like oh good night (laughs) yeah i know we're 
my career was someday the emails came in and it kind of blew people's minds <laughs> but uh no it was um it's fine actually you know it's you, you know by what group it's going into how serious the message is going to be roughly and how much attention you need to pay to it basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> has that changed david since you since you started and saying in carrier even with with karen's as well like the technology in the dressing room and you know young lads on the phones and that sort of thing I'm yeah, sure it's developed. Hugely. Yeah, hugely. Um, it's big, big thing. Like even just from team bonding and stuff, you might have no phones, or you know, there was a fine system for being on your phone or uh, while we're eating, or there was um, that kind of stuff. But it's it is changed, and the technology in terms of analysis and stuff has changed hugely. But it's for the better. Um, but yeah, it's 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 funny now. Like you might have analysis, video analysis stuff now half time, which you wouldn't have dreamed that when I even for the first quarter of my career not to mind the first when I started you know and were you always keen to embrace that like the whatever data you could get or did it take you a while to sift through and go these are the bits that are really important to me um I wouldn't have been, uh would have been I think I would have been yeah for that kind of stuff I would have been very much um keen to if I could see that you would see the improvement and that side of things very uh, easily, you know the the how it could improve your game and extra analysis and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I might have been a bit slower to band work and some of that kind of stuff to, to adapt that. But in terms of the video stuff, the um, other different things of improvements of technology, yeah, I would have been a good uh, user of it, or I would have been. I certainly wouldn't have been uh, resistant to it anyway. Is the band work the like um, the stat sports stuff, the your your the sports bra and the, the information about how far you've run and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, like it's it has to be done. Like it's important, but uh, I think like there's some guys are saying that they, they'd nearly be more upset if they forgot their bends and their boots, and <laughs> I certainly didn't fit in that camp. <laughs> uh, are you enjoying playing football at the moment? Yeah, yeah, it's great. So look, it's we've we've had a great year in terms of success and winning stuff, and it's always easier when you're when you're winning. Um, but like it doesn't feel like I've been on the go nearly twelve months. Um, which has been, which is obviously a great thing. But yeah, I definitely am, and I do, I, 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 I do like the split seasons. I like going away for Kerry and training hard, and you know, being all in there. And I like coming back to the club and you know, going all in there. I, I used to find I used to like as much when the say the serious club stuff football would be in April, and you're trying to play football the weekends with the club at a very high level, but you're still trying to get a bit of work done during the week with Kerry, and you're kind of just. I, I used to enjoy that as much, but I like now that when Scary's finished, you're back in, all in, it's all the club, you know, I'm enjoying that. You're enjoying the fun, the trainings, and I suppose at the moment we're having a good run, there's great buzz in the community, you're able to enjoy all that funny, you know, fully. I know you've been saying that, the, I guess, the, the Kerry decision going back next year is, is is up in the air until the club finishes, Lee Keegan kind of on with us recently saying something similar. Is it a case, David, for yourself that you know you know what you want to do in your head, but you, I guess, don't want to verbalise it and commit to it until the, the club is over, or are you, are you completely on the fence as to the intercounty return? Um, no, I, like, I haven't I haven't put, not like, that I committed to either way, or, or that, you know, I was put under pressure to it. I just kind of was like, look, just don't even go address it too hard, and then at Christmas sit down and go through the pros and cons. Um, I, I, was, I think that if I'd finished in... October time at the club, it would have been a different decision because I would have had to have made my decision earlier to see if I could need to keep myself fit for the next three months with no football to try and get at that level. But at the moment, I'm still playing at a good level and, um, you know, I'm still keeping the body taking over. So it's a case of like, I don't have to make my decision now. It's probably tough to 
tough to step aside from Indicarnity as well, it but is, there's yeah, all yeah, our, all Ireland's yeah. at the yeah, at the back and call. Um, I think no matter when you when you finish up, you'll always have regrets whether you went too early or you went too late. I think you know it's there's no easy way of doing it. I don't know if you um, on Saturday afternoons we have a Saturday panel discussion, and one of the clips that we have at the start is Niall O'Toole, who's a former world champion rower, and uh, the clip that we pick from him is uh, you should. Prolong, I'm going to mangle it now, but it's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. You should continue your sports career for as long as you can because everything else after that is pretty shitty. I'm, I'm almost verbatim. And um, so we're, we're going to make the case today for you to continue because, like, you know, it's uh, you're still playing really well. You can still influence games. It's a different type of influence maybe when you were at your absolute peak at 24, 25, 26, 27. But, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for people who set tones and set cultures within a group that the responsibility isn't just the 70 minutes on the field to play. And, and maybe you've come to realise that as your career has gone on. Yeah, it's, it's, it's look, the, this year was a very different year for me, just in terms of, of um, you know, I uh, I was obviously injured for a lot of it, uh, for the, the lot of the early part of it. And then coming back in, I got a break with, with guys getting injured and getting a chance and I was able to hold my place. But it was still... Um, you know, I was a different player on the team than I might have been in, in prior years. Um, and, you know, it was the other guys that were driving it on more than, say, my era. Uh, the guys I played with, a lot of them are gone. But um, so I, I, I kind of enjoyed this year in a funny way in that it just, it was, I was kind of being not led by other guys, but I was very much enjoying seeing guys uh, who were come through as great minors to really step up and be, you know, leaders you know, national leaders and driving the team on. And I was, I was enjoying being part of it, whether before I might've been trying to, to, to be one of the, the, the main guys. And, and, uh, and that's, so I did enjoy it in a funny way this year. And I, I do agree with you that when you get to the latter stage of your career, it's not all about being, you know, uh, the main guy for the 70 minutes that you do have, uh, uh, I suppose whether you like it or not, what the way you behave is, is representative of, of your, of the, the, the career that you know the longevity that you've had so it's um look I, there's a lot of factors to weigh up I, uh, a lot of it will come down to personal stuff you know we're my wife's due a second child in february um you know work is busy i want to, to to still be able to play at a level where i feel i'm competing um you know so there's a lot a lot of play it won't just come down to you know you know i like will i start will i stop will i be an impact sub or not you know these kind of things it, it won't just come down to that it'll be yeah. a number of factors yeah I, there must be a, a huge level of anticipation as well about the quality of team that's there at the moment because you, you've seen all of the the great Kerry eras you've, you've kind of you've, you've lived it like in your family life you know exactly what everything has been like the whole way through and it feels like this crop at the moment has as much potential as any of the teams that there ever has been yeah, like, and that's, and that's like when I weigh up my decision, I'll be saying, look, I expect Terry to be in the shake up, not saying they'll win it or but you expect them, they'll be, they'll be there that, that you'll either be going to Crow Park, you know, as a panel member or as a spectator, you know, and that, that'll be kind of a decision that you just have to, to expect, you know, but it is, I do think it's exciting times and, you know, I feel very lucky that I've kind of, you know, been able to see both sides of it. I saw the Deccan Sullivans and the Gooches, you know, four or five nights a week. And now you're seeing the Shiny Shays and the David Clifford's four nights a week. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, and I do feel very privileged in that, but it is exciting time. You know, it's great seeing guys that, you know, you won the, I don't know how many, four or five minors in a row and they're, they're starting to, you know, to become good seniors as opposed to just good minors. Um, you know, but, you know, and getting over the line, I think was a big thing for a lot of guys in the group. 
um this year, you know, and you'll be expecting, you know, that they'll be in the shake up going forward. Um which I suppose they're going from the hunter to the hunted now, so it's always it's always uh, going to be a different chance. But yeah, like it is an exciting time for Kerry, absolutely. Nice short season as well, you know, over by next August. What's, what's not to like about it? We're, I think we're doing our best here for all the Kerry fans out there. We're doing our best. Um, I do want to ask you about a sliding doors moment in your life that we were just reading about um, in the papers today. You were talking about the last time the club were in um, a final like this. And I didn't realise, but you and Tommy Walsh were essentially on the same trial in Australia uh, you were like, okay, uh, thanks very much for coming out, David. Tommy stayed behind. Do you ever think about what life would have been like if you had made that trial and, and stayed in Australia? Yeah, I mean, so I went in 2008. We were in the Ireland final, and I both of us were asked over to to Australia, and I couldn't go because I was exams. So Tommy went over and did all the trials, kind of in 08. And I'd say when we went back over in 09, they kind of had all their like I said, they came back and they were kind of monitoring the National League games in 09 and that kind of stuff. And then, uh, but they had kind of Tommy done all the testing and all the trials and everything. So they knew that, that Tommy was going to be, um, you know, they were going to sign Tommy once he was happy to go. So when I went over in, in 2009, I wasn't, I know I was on there at the same time as Tommy uh, trial-wise, but he'd already done the testing. He'd already done, you know, hit all the, the, the figures that he needed to hit in terms of uh, different distances, times, that kind of stuff. So I, I, I went over, it was funny when I went over um, they kind of had me scouted as a different kind of player like I mean I got all the gear and it was medium like and I was like Jesus this is very tight <laughs> <laughs> um, and then so it was kind of like I ended up almost competing with Tommy for the same position because we were both similar well he was obviously but stronger but um, you know so it, did, it worked out kind of funny that way and uh, like it was I think I had to do the three the the three k or the one k in certain time or else the twenty meter sprint in under three seconds or something but I I was close in both but I didn't get one under so I remember I got called on a Thursday into um the the manager's office and he said look you're not going to get a contract we're going to uh you have a couple of choices you can stay on and prove us wrong or you can um we'll pay for you to go on holidays around Australia and I said look my dad is training the 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 local team here when the Munster final so. I need you to get me on a flight to Ireland as, as soon as you can. Um, and, yeah, I think I ended up getting three or four flights to try and get into Dublin uh, and got down. But I, I mean, the way the game went, I didn't be better off missing it. But, um, yeah, I, I, not that I'd think about what if I'd stayed there because I kind of gave everything I had. I think if I got after the contract, I probably would have signed. But, um, you know, it's... It didn't work out too bad. <laughs> no, it, it, obviously it didn't. Um, it's just it is totally different life. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, um, it, but I, I like I enjoyed. I I love the professional side of it. Like the weather didn't. Uh, the weather wasn't bad either. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's and then you know professional sports isn't all it's cracked up to be as well. I suppose I was over on trial seeing the best of it. You know they're trying to to convince you this is the be all end all. There's a lot of downsides. Uh, the professional sport as well and obviously I'd been very close to Tommy when he was there and you'd see you know the injuries that he went through and uh, you know at times you're out of favourite team and it's it's um, it's an all-consuming bubble in the professional sports at least you know if, if things aren't going well with Kerry at least I have my work you know my family are, are close that kind of stuff it's a different ball game on the other side of the world Yeah it's a brutal conversation isn't it you couldn't do these two things that we need you to do and so therefore off you go Yeah and I was surprised about it at the time like because you know skills wise I was able to I I, I I was fairly happy at I was doing with the oval ball. It didn't even matter. You know, it was just like, can't do the 3K under three minutes or the 1K under three minutes or you can't do the 20 metres under three seconds. you got to do one or the other. It, it's mad how life turns out as well in that it's yourself and Tommy 
competing for a jersey thousands of miles away when you consider your parents are very close yeah, they both went to the yeah. same school since Montessori as well which is quite remarkable yeah yeah it's funny you know but um, yeah I was never going to win that one <laughs> <laughs> he is he is a beast isn't he it's like yeah, uh, it's freak, yeah. yeah and and obviously still a key player for you guys at the weekend yeah yeah he's you know he played very well last week um, you know and the county championship we had a poor run it's probably no coincidence that he was injured for it. Um, yeah, he's just, you know, even last year uh, with Kerry, like he was very good in training. He was all the, the lads really looked up to him. Um, you know, so it's, I think I'd say Jason Foley was, was, was really sickened by the end of it. Um, David, I got in a bit of bother this week. Uh, we were talking, we've been talking about the club for the last number of weeks on the show, but um, made the point this week, uh, rashly in some quarters, I guess people have said oh, that. Go for uh, it. Don't, no, yeah, Shane, come Don't on. back down, double down. Yeah. That, uh, Essentially saying Chemical Crooks could well compete and perhaps win the Talton Cup. You didn't say that. You said they would win the Talton Cup. The you Talton said Cup. it as baldly as that. There was no could well compete. Come on. Now, so my point to you, David, I guess, is the my, and my point, I suppose, was the quality of club football has increased dramatically, that it's become this remarkable thing between Kilmacud and Kilku and Curra Finn. Um, and I guess it's it's slightly different when you look at divisional teams in Kerry, for example. But how do you think... Club teams hypothetically could compare, you know, say in a division three or a division four in, 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 in at intercounty level. That's it's it's very it's very hard to know. Uh, um, it's a big statement, I'd say, in the Vintelton Cup. <laughs> Back uh, up here, David. Come on. I, I don't know. Like I mean, like all I can see is on here in East Kerry, and you know, a lot of the guys are most of them would have played with Kerry at, at all age groups, and a lot of them would have been involved in Kerry setup and stuff. So you'd have to think that a team like that. Would be competitive at some level. I don't know whether you'd say that they're going to be, they're going to win. Uh, would they compete in Division Three or Four? I suppose some of them probably would. I don't know to what extent, though. Um, I don't know. It takes uh, some scalps, I'll tell you. See, your difficulty is you have to play against these teams again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, I just, to be honest, I actually don't know. It's, it's a, I think you could argue either way. Uh, they certainly have, um, individuals who are you know obviously very very talented but whether they'd be balanced enough to compete you know over a league I think would be the big thing for them Has club have has the feeling in terms of training and sports science conditioning around club level dramatically increased since you started? Yeah 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 I think um, it, I, even, I actually think it was nearly the commitment side it was nearly worse a couple of years ago I think it like you saw all those you know charters and stuff being kind of leaked and and stuff like I think it just I think it, I, I'm glad to say I think it's come back a little bit um, you know that it's, it's because there for a while I'd say three or four years ago it was seemed to be just like the, the, almost like the fun was being taken out of it it was gone so serious um, but I'd like to think that it's come back but compared to where I started when I came in we had quite a, we had a quite good club team uh, we got to the, the county final in 2008 we were in one club final in 2009 and that kind of Thing. So it would have been very, very serious and we would have had a very good group of guys, you know, knocking around carrying our 21s and carrying my uh, seniors at the time. Um, you know, so it would have been quite serious when I came in uh, in the club. But I'd say as a general rule, the the, the, the standard and commitment has definitely, definitely increased hugely. Um, I'd say probably in Dublin even stuff with the, say, the use of the modern technology, I'd say, is in a lot of clubs uh, I'd say that's even a different level altogether as well Why do you think it's calmed down a bit in recent years? 
I don't know how sustainable that was. Um, I know if I was a club player uh, and I was getting, you know, the charters and your whole life was being revolved around it, I don't, I don't know, like, um, I think COVID comes in and you kind of get, you know, a reality of, you know, Jesus, more to this. You know, I think, that, I just don't know. Like, I think it was like almost the fun side of it was being taken out. There was, you weren't allowed nights out, you weren't allowed out this, that, and the other. There weren't any not allowed, there was stuff more than you were allowed. Um, you know, I just, I just maybe thought that they were trying to, it was gone too serious, too, too, uh, intense. And, um, I'm not sure the reward was there for it. You know, they just, you know, I suppose the club football is, is in my idea is representing your community, representing the people you grew up with, having fun and, you know, uh, playing sport. But I just thought it was gone too, too serious. And I, I just, maybe I'm wrong now, but I think in the last couple of years, it seems to have come back a bit, thankfully. And I, it feels like the split season is something that feeds into that, where you know that you can go hard for these six months of the year if you're a club player, and then you will have time off, and you will be able to go on holidays, and you will be able yeah. to, uh, you know, organise family functions around a time of the year where you're not going to get frowned upon for missing the game. Yeah, and I think that's the way it should be. Do you know, I, I, that, I think that it's, it should be like that at club level. It should be taken serious for for the period that you're in an intense period, but it, it just can't be 12 months, and it can't just be you know, putting in restrictions and sanctions for the sake of it, you know. Um, I do believe, like, you know, that it's, you know, club football is amazing. There's nearly, a, you know, there's a, a field in every town in Ireland and, you know, it's the, the central part of the community and, you know, it has, to, it has to be fun. You have to want to play, you know, it can't just be a chore that you feel you have to do something, you know. You want to have people bursting to go on, like we've guys not coming back from Dubai in America to play in the game Sunday, you know, and that's, you know, that's 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 great. You guys coming from from, you know, seven hours away or five hours away to to want to play with 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 our community you know and that's what it should be as opposed to you can't do this you can't do that the the desire and heart is still clearly there for you david especially considering you you were sent off in the in the semi-final against Arog a couple of weeks ago like yeah. that sort of thing i suppose from a leadership perspective you almost have to be seen to be the the roy Keane of the team you know when you're at your your, your age at club level you need to be the one who's kind of setting the benchmark and Giving them one. Giving, getting trouble. <laughs> Giving Mark Overmars a little kick, yeah. Start of the game. Uh, I, don't, I think they look up to Tommy more than me anyway. So, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. Like last, last week was this fine thing. Um, just one of those things. I, I hope it's the last time. First and last time my career getting sent off. That was, your first, was that your first sending off in your career? Yeah. yeah. Was it? Yeah. So, I don't mean to sound surprised, but it's just... Yeah. yeah there's, there's been a, <laughs> You're making out to be very, very dirty footballer. <laughs> Like Gary Lineker of Gaelic Games, fair play. That's um, yeah, it's not an easy achievement to not get sent off. Like you, you talk about lads, the especially that the constant ribbing that goes on in matches. Like we saw the treatment that you know Padraig O'Hara had with David Clifford, for example. That seems to have crept into the game more and more. Like so, to I guess cope with that, especially for you in the middle of the park, and not get sent off or riled up, must take a little bit of self control. Well, it's probably easier on the middle because. You, like there's, I don't think there's as much, really much verbals in the middle because you're not sitting, standing beside a fella for the whole game. If you're inside the full back to full forward line, there's a lot of the game where you're just literally standing beside the fella beside you, and you know it's one on one. Around the middle, it's you're kind of moving the whole time. I don't think there's as much of it. I'd say, um, I suppose if David Clifford's midfielder, he'd probably be getting plenty of it out there too. But uh, it's a little bit easier out there. But um, it's funny. I was doing a myself and the two Cliffords were. At a local school here yesterday with the cup, 
and it was like random question selection in the course it just came to me like have you ever been sent off I thought the two lads were going to fall off the stage <laughs> more recently than people thought yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, they're enjoying life they're, they're playing a lot of games this year but I, I suspect you want to play games rather than be in training because they'd be training anyway right yeah like I, I, I'm trying to figure out like I mean under the old system you probably play the same amount of games I mean the same competitions were there um, it just like you were just kind of playing them in between club and I say you go do a blaster club back to county you know you're still like all the competitions that we played in this year um, at the moment obviously we've got further than we would have previously but I think like you know you're still playing the same amount of games uh, but absolutely to answer your question you know the more games the better um, certainly anyway club level like you know Two, two last quick comments uh, Morn would be an incredible loss if he was to leave the Kerry panel he adds something that they currently don't have on the panel at that level says William Doyle I don't know if you want to yeah good man William is that the, uh, is that the answer to that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, the last one was uh, why does David wear socks fully up to his knees unusual in GAA circles it's like one of the kids in the audience yeah it's uh, it's, it's what happened I'd say I just did it when I was young uh, and it just never stopped that was kind of the main thing. It was probably fine. Kieran was when Kieran was playing, he was doing as well. So at least there was two of us. Um, but he's gone now. It's it was more just a comfort thing because um, I usually wear two pairs of football socks, and um, particularly if it was wet, I just find use on my boot. But I, it's literally it was just a, a comfort thing, and then I, I just got to face out that if 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 I put if I didn't do it, it'd be another bigger statement. <laughs> nice, um, nice easy one for you, Dave. But who's the greatest carry forward you've ever played with? Jesus, no way I'm going there. <laughs> and we won't tell anyone what you said. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, give you an e- I'll give you an easier one. Who's the greatest midfielder you've ever played against? Um, the Dubs have had a few. Yeah, I suppose either James McCarthy or Brian Fenton. And wh- what, what makes the likes of McCarthy and Fenton so hard to play against? Um, their athleticism was incredible. Obviously, they were playing in a great team, which makes it very difficult. To, you know, you couldn't... Um, you're playing against you know guys say of a lesser with le- a lesser team, and if you nullify that person, you know the the whole team stops. Where they you kind of didn't have too much help with Dublin because everybody had, had to mark a good guy. Um, and I suppose James uh, was incredibly athletic, you know, and you couldn't take your eyes off him because he'd score. So you couldn't be you were trying to obviously play your own game, but you just couldn't. Um, you couldn't, and someone like me, he was more late than I was, same as Brian, Brian Finton, so that I couldn't afford to give him, to let him get a yard of me because I wasn't going to make it back. Um, so I thought there were two different players. Like, I think James Carter could probably play anywhere, and Brian Finton then just did everything so easy. He was, you know, he was obviously a bigger guy and a better athlete than I was, but obviously a great decision maker. So I just did team two and looked at, you could, uh, there's a lot of different strengths that they had, but they're probably two of the best. You know the best five or six or seven guys of the last bit of the, you know, our generation. You know, and they just they were just top quality footballers, really. I actually think McCarthy is the best footballer on that Dublin team at any point over that era. When when the careers are all kind of held up at the end, when we look back on that period, I think at the end, whatever the metrics you use, you're going to be like, actually, he is the best because he was there for all of it, and he was always impactful, and he's still impactful at the very end. Yeah, and like I remember, like say when Tommy came back in, he was the guy that was put back on Tommy at times, you know, and he needed it or if something happened midfield, he was put out midfield, you know. He seemed to be good, the guy that the thing. And I, I played the international rules with him, like, and you just knew that's just you know having coffee or feed. You just say this guy's a guy you definitely go to the trenches with, you know. 
Um, you know, I thought he was, you know, the two guys, they were two fantastic players. A couple of decent additions back into the Dublin panel again yeah, uh, for yeah. David and, and uh, Mannion and McCarthy. Like, did that, make, did that make the WhatsApp groups? <laughs> yeah. It actually didn't, I suppose. The timing of it probably was good in the sense that we were probably all out still celebrating. <laughs> so <that> was, <laughs> they didn't get into the, the group, no. But I was actually surprised how young they were. Do you know when I saw their, their ages and stuff, I was expecting them to be older, but they're still very much in their prime. So they'll be a huge addition to Dublin too. Fantastic players, yeah. Adds a bit of juice to next year as well. Mm. Yeah. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck, particularly with the second child. That's um, You think you've got life handled when you've got one and you understand how things are going, but number two, that's another bomb going off in your life. So I wish you the very best of luck, and we hope to see the so socks much. pulled up for much longer. David, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, man. No, Cheers. It's uh, David Moran there, um, head of the uh, AIB Munster Club final this weekend. It's 8.22. If you want to get involved, leave a comment on the YouTube stream. You can also tweet us at AM, or, of course, you'll get us... Uh, on 0879180180 Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB the festive season as we know is officially here so why not enjoy a shot of gingerbread goodness in your Brayburn Coffee today available at Apple Green locations nationwide after this break we're debuting a brand new slot here on OTB AM it's called Around the World with Hannon stay tuned first though here's Jerry Thorny and Fiona Hayes uh, talking with Joe yesterday about the brilliance of Scotland and Racing playmaker Finn Russell. But they've got loads of strike power and Finn Russell is probably having his best season with them. He's the leading point scorer in the top 14. His kicking ratio is around 92%. Yeah. And he's full of his bag of tricks. Even last week when they rested, they rested him and all the other frontliners, the replacement out of half who came in, two of their three tries came from little, very chip grubbers. They have a very inventive kicking game, Racing. Yeah. They have a brilliant defensive line-out, which again was brilliant again last week. They, um, they made mince meat of the opposition throw. So they're, they're, they're definitely a dangerous side and they really want to win Europe. Imagine the pain they're feeling having lost three finals, including one against Leinster. Well, I think they have taken on the mantle that Munster once had, mm. that holy grail, yeah. the neutral. Claremont like in France, the, go- the great it, Claremont yeah. team yeah, yeah, yeah. of Parron, yes, Lopez yeah. and Rougerie and all the, the boys. That the neutral really would like to see them yep. get over yep. the line, most likely. Yep. Yeah, Finn Russell, God. Every time he plays well, Gregor Townsend is just shaking his head in disgust at the moment. <laughs> like, I can't. I'll never be able to shake this guy. Uh, see his performance in the last game against Argentina. I know Argentina got a red card in the first half, but yeah. I think he'd... I think he had, I think he had three or four try, try scoring assists and another two key involvements and two yeah. more scores just with his inventive kicking game. I, like, to be fair to him, I, in, in what an hour of a Lions game, he did more than it happened in the entire I've tour. Seen one player transform yeah. a match so much like in my life. Quality, yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly he's getting go forward ball. Yeah, can he close out a key game and when the silverware on the line a big knockout match? You know, Steve Borthwick couldn't pick him, is what we're saying. Possibly not, but that doesn't mean he's not. Great. No, no. And in fairness to Gatlin Townsend, he was injured for a big chunk of that Lions tour, which is why he didn't come in until the third test. Okay. No, he was. Do you remember he was injured for a good while at that tour? I still wonder would they have picked him? Well, I would imagine that was the main reason he Gregor Townsend's influence was the main reason that Finn Russell was picked among others well, ahead true. of Johnny Sexton. That's true. Mm. That's true. We won't reopen that hole. Anyway, they're a threat. They're a big deal. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. so they're yeah. going well. Yeah, for more of that goodness, the only place to listen back to Monday Night Rugby. Wednesday Night Rugby and Brian O'Driscoll in full is on the OTB Rugby podcast feed and you can subscribe now on the OTB app. We're back next with Around the World with Hannon. Yes, indeed. Jer. I, I, around the World with Hannon. Are we going with that name? I think we are. Hannon Around the World? Hannon Around the World. I mean, there's so many options. Yeah, we'll, we'll come up with something. But Around the World with Hannon, it is for now. We decided we needed a quirky new segment because there's plenty of sporting stories 
from around the world. See what I did there? Uh, that we miss during the week. We just don't get time to talk about it. And I'm like, that's a shame. We should have time to talk about them. Uh, and this is the segment where we'll do it. So it's going to be a weekly segment. Quirky sporting stories from around the world that you may have missed. I mean, it's going to be a weekly segment if it works, Shane. If it works. The, the uh, YouTube commenters will decide. Exactly. It could be a one-week segment. And if it is, <laughs> so be it. Uh, we're going to start, Jared, this week in the United Kingdom. Because a debate raged on social media this week. Kind of signalled on... Uh, I think Eurosport had a bit of a conversation around this. It was the snooker coverage at the Scottish Open last week. And they thought they were, uh, someone hit a 147. Judd Trump, I think it was. And they were like, which is the harder skill? 147 maximum break in snooker. Nine darter in darts. Or a hole-in-one in golf. Now, Sean Murphy, the 2005 World Snooker Champion, ha- had an opinion on this. So this is his tweet. He says, as the only person that I know of to have completed all three of these... The correct order is, in difficulty, 147 is the hardest, 9 darter is the second hardest, and a hole-in-one in golf is the third hardest of three. Anyone else out there achieved all three? Membership to this exclusive club remains open. So Sean Murphy, of course, World Snooker Champion, has had plenty of uh, maximum breaks. Uh, decent pub darts player as well, and has hit a 9 darter. And uh, he plays off scratch in golf. Tried to qualify for the British Open, I think, a number of years ago. Did he? He's unbelievable at golf. Right. Um, so plays a lot in Ireland as well, living in, in, in Dublin. Um, big into his cars as well. He's one of these annoying people who's an all-rounder. Uh, but but Sean Murphy said it is the toughest, the 147. You have to hit 15 reds followed by 15 blacks and then the six colours. So you're talking 36 shots. Is he not biased though? Is that not the thing that he does all day every day and so therefore he's like, this, my thing's the hardest. Have you ever noticed a midfielder always picks midfielders from man of the match? Yeah, fair. A back row always picks back rows from man of the match? Goalkeepers are like, oh, what a great goalkeeping performance. <laughs> Nobody else could ever have done that. I did see a couple of darts players who uh, were professing that the nine darter was, was tougher. But that's that's nine shots into the trebles, which is tough. And then the hole-in-one. I mean, I've met some golfers who are only very average golfers who fit holes-in-one. In that's that's, that can be luck. It's fluky. Yeah, I mean, you're going around 18 holes. John Rahm's hole-in-one at um, and the practice round for the Masters where he pings it off the water. Ah, that's skill. Right. Well, that, well, that's insane. But... It's also a fluke. It is, yeah. Uh, th- this whole debate led to Ronnie O'Sullivan on TV as well, saying he had started um, playing a bit of darts. He's taken a lesson. He's ch- called out Michael Van Gerwen on, on social media after Gerwen responded and said they could do a, a darts match for, for charity. For 9.99? Of course. Oh, for charity. For the, this oh, is the, about charity. the match between... Don't yeah. be giving the shit away, lads. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, um, Gallar, one of the, St- Stephen Gallar, I think it is, the, the golf golfer, he said he's a fan of snooker, but he thinks the hole-in-one is toughest. So he said he finds it hard to adjust looking at the object ball rather than the white ball in snooker, uh, but that from his point of view, a hole-in-one is much harder. Now, I want to get John Murphy on the show at some point on this, because he is qualified. I mean, he's done all three. Now, the pub one, the darts one, apparently was in front of his mates, and his mates can vouch for it, so there's no video proof of it. Uh, and I'm sure he said holes in one. So what, what is a nine dart, just for those of us who don't have a clue what you're talking about? So, uh, all in the trebles. So... Uh, treble 20, treble 20, treble 20 Then you can go treble 20, treble 20, treble 20 again Or you can go to the treble 19s So you've got to get 180 exactly. No, you've got to get um, Well, you get 180 and then a 178 What's the total number you're trying to get? Uh, so you're trying to get 501 Okay uh, So then you'll have the checkout of three darts Which is the toughest part probably at the end It's probably another treble 20 It's probably uh, another treble somewhere in a do- Depending on your mats You can do whatever checkout you want You can you can play it to some level So getting 501 in nine darts Essentially yeah, so say some darts the phrase are, the nine dart finished I've heard that yeah, but of course. I was like 
I mean, it sounds like it's you know, <laughs> tricky, but... Yeah, and darts is tough. I mean, for anyone who's, who's tried to play it, it's not easy, especially when you've had a couple of pints in the pub, which is generally when you're going to play a bit of darts. Uh, it doesn't help when the board is kind of swinging in front of your face. Uh, well, it's just your eyes um, from the couple of pints. But And then darts players can kind of control it in that, say you're good on a double 12, you're going to aim to finish on a double 12 and do the maths to finish that way. You're going to I'm going to leave that, I'm going to go for that to finish double 12 or double 7 or whatever it might be. Um, whereas in snooker, the one four seven, you're at the beck and call of the ball. Now, if you have good cue ball control, you can control that. Yeah, to the an only extent. thing is that, like every frame you start, there's a possibility of a one four seven. There's a possibility, but every there's a possibility like, of a nine dart or an, does or the a nine dart have one. to come? Uh, you know, we're not the the one in the pub doesn't count. It has to be under pressure no. in a match. There was a great one in the World Championship last year uh, at Ali Pali, where I can't remember. Uh, apologies to the player, but he, he hit one in a deciding leg of a match. Which right, is, and does it not happen all the time? Um. Quite regularly, but it's... Like every match there's one? No, not every match. Certainly not every match. Right. It's probably akin to a one four seven, and it doesn't happen... You see it happen in maybe once a tournament, if you're lucky. Is that all? Well, one four seven certainly... What are they doing? You might go... <laughs> Come on. You try... You pick up a snooker cue or, or a... Or no, a I'm, I'm talentless. I mean, these guys are... They have some talent, and they don't do anything else. Well, we'll talk to John Duggan about this when he comes in, but he, he made the point in the, the office this morning that it's not a sport if you don't have to change your shoes. Um... I was disgusted and flabbergasted that he would come out with such a comment. But we'll talk to John okay. later and uh, okay. control that one. So everybody can, can vote. Exactly. Let, let us know your votes and might might take this further with Sean Murphy and maybe a darts player at some point to see, you know, can we get a debate flying on air? Because it's, it's, it's definitely, it's look, it's a hypothetical. No one's ever going to agree on this, but I think there are opinions that are more equal than others, in my opinion. It is 147, followed by the nine darter, followed by golf, phone one. That's what, just my opinion, Jer. Next up, we're going to Mexico around the world see what they did there geography you're, you're already behind the eight ball here um, of course Mexican way of art no hang on Danny Mac 1 says around the world we'll start in the UK <laughs> it's like well you know we're just easing you into it Danny yeah, exactly. calm down UK. Mexico not the UK yeah UK's in the world isn't it it exists um, Mexico Mexican wave so some iterations of the Mexican wave have appeared at the World Cup of Guitar it's, it's led to some detective work by me but it's also kind of asked me the question what's what's the point of them when are they okay when are they allowed so um, most sports historians Jer claim that the wave began to surface internationally during the 1986 World Cup first time we, we saw it so broadcast fans around the world so many people think North America was where the origins of uh, the Mexican wave came from so Mexico of course made the quarterfinal of the World Cup in 86 their joint best performance at a World Cup in the US they call it the wave whereas in Mexico it is known as La Ola which translates as wave funny enough uh, it rose to prominence in the 80s, but it had already actually become prominent a decade before the 86 World Cup, as I found out. So, believed to date back to the late 1970s, still in North America, at sporting events, the earliest video footage we have of Mexican Wave is 1981, nationally televised baseball game, the Oakland Athletics against the New York Yankees, and the American cheerleader Crazy George Henderson is credited by fans in the US for creating the Wave. So this was the, the creator. Crazy George Henderson doesn't get enough credit, I think, for, for creating one of the great sporting moments in the crowd uh, you know you know that um, if you could go back and kill baby Hitler would you do it <laughs> a lot of people are like oh crazy George Henderson yeah no stick, stick him on the list first possibly now he, he actually worked on the wave after that baseball game uh, there was an NHL game in, I'm getting in trouble aren't I you're probably getting in trouble yeah uh, in, in Alberta the Edmonton Oilers star Wayne Gretzky met crazy George Henderson in the post game locker room invited him to dinner they discussed the wave Colorado Rockies game late 1980 a delayed response from some fans. They were like, what is going on here? And then it took a few laps of the, of the stadium for them to, to cop on. So my, my my question for yourself and for the public, Jerry, I guess, is do you partake no. in Mexican waves? No. no. 
what are your opinions on it? Does it only happen when a game is crap yeah. or when the majority of fans yeah. are neutral? Uh, when a game's crap. When people are bored. They're, they're, look, no, I'm, I'm generally against it. Your kids not enjoy it. They do, unfortunately. And, and I have been, I've obviously been remiss in my job as a parent. Like, oh, this is exciting. What is this? And I'm like, okay. You oh, tell them to sit there. Well, I mean, you know. There was definitely a match we were at where we were getting booed for not doing the wave. What was that? Was it in the Aviva? It was Lansdowne Road yeah. before before it was the Aviva. I have a vague recollection of like there being a wave going on. With us like, no, this is nonsense. What are you doing? I funny. I, I oh. see the I see the Mexican wave kind of like mass. So when I was a kid, I like I loved the Mexican wave and it was a bit of crack. Same as like when I was a kid, I used to go to mass and you'd be looking around at people and thinking, no, oh, this is something different. And then when you get a bit older, you're like, this is a load of crap. This is a load of crap. Yeah. Uh, this doesn't make sense. I got why, sold a pup. Yeah, why are we doing this? So in that way, kind of, they're, they're a bit similar. But yeah, I think I reached a certain age where I was like, why Why are we, can we, can we just sit down and enjoy the match? Even if it's a crap nil-nil. Can we just, a goal could happen or we could miss it because you idiots are standing up and, I mean, it's, all right, what is it? It's just this. Hey, you have to do that. Sorry, we did it the wrong way, right? You have to start at Jericho. So I, then I have to go like this. No, you Obviously, you have to do the two hands, yeah, of course. Yeah, but right. that, <laughs> ridiculous. Right. So cra- crazy George Henderson is yeah. is the one who uh, to remember. And also, they don't call it the Mexican wave because they're a bit bit thick in America. Yeah, that's that's the only reason we the we look into it. and We just find out they're a bit thick, and they they you know they don't want to. That's yeah, all. That's all. fair. La Ola, it's called in Mexico. We'll move on because I don't want to talk about the Mexican wave anymore. To Boston, the Royals were at an NBA game courtside, and nobody cared. Yeah, so Prince William. Um, not Royals anymore. Not Royals anymore, of course. Uh, Prince William and... Are they not Royals anymore? No. Prince oh, William. William, sorry. sorry yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. My royal knowledge wouldn't be great, but... I was, I was like, really? Something happened that I that I missed. So not Harry. Not Harry. William's in America. William and Kate were on a trip ah, to Boston. you're making me pay attention. I'm, I'm, come on. Yeah, Get yeah. through this bit. Yeah, bit of a stateside trip. Um, so, the teams were, of course, asked after the match. So this is a, a Boston... Um, Fifth straight win for Boston as well. The Celtics are on a bit of a roll, but the team, of course, in the, in the post-match press conferences, are asked, "Oh, how do you feel about playing in front of? I know you're playing for the celebrities all the time, courtside, but Prince William and Kate Middleton were here, um, and they clearly weren't very starstruck by the attendance of British royalty." So Joe Mazzulla responded with some humour. He said he was he was asked about royalty being at the match, and he goes, "Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. I'm only familiar with one royal family. I don't know too much about them, but hopefully they're Celtics fans." So clearly, he's he's a religious man and didn't like. Uh, William and Kate being referred to as, as royalty. Jalen Brown scored 26 points in this win for the Celtics over the Heat, uh, despite battling foul trouble. He was asked afterwards, and he shrugged and said, just a regular game to me. Um, none of them gave the, the press the reaction they wanted. Like, oh my God, yeah, it was so amazing to play in front of the Royals. Uh, we, so this, uh, they got the special treatment. It was the Celtics Heat matchup at TD Garden, next to the Boston bench as well, by the way, so good seats. Um, and it was a short video clip here of Prince William in the crowd, uh, mouthing... Uh, He's very good. So can we just play the clip? We might have to play that again just so people can catch that. But Do it again. So clearly clapping a, a lovely point from the Celtics and he's very good. Very posh. Um, very uh, good seats for the Royals as well. But I guess my point here was no one cares about celebrities in the crowd. I didn't have uh, William pegged for a uh, basketball fan. No. Harry, Harry and Meghan I can see at the, at the basketball matches for sure. But um, yeah, I, I was quite surprised by that to say the least. So uh, the Royals and Celebrities of Basketball Matches, no one cares. Okay. You're there. Next up, we're going back to Qatar. Or to Qatar. Uh, strange complaints, Jared, from players at the World Cup uh, regarding paint on the pitch. Go on. 
Okay, so FIFA have denied using paint on World Cup pitches. A number of players complained of strange stains on their kit. And this isn't a Gary Lineker job with uh, stains on the wrong side of the kit. But uh, some players wondering if, if ground staff had used an unorthodox approach to covering bare pitches. You'll see in England the green kit there. A bit of green on uh, Luke Shaw's number three jersey or uh, shorts. Um, we know at the Masters, uh, some of the, the bare turf is covered in green paint to maintain this pristine look at Augusta. Uh, but not usually uh, used in football. FIFA insists it's not being used in Qatar. They say though they are using green paint, paint in warm-up areas. Which would lead you to believe you probably yeah. use it on pitches as well. It's a gateway drug. It's, exactly. Uh, but the perimeters of the pitch where substitutes prepare themselves for action, they're saying, yeah, there's green paint there. Uh, players have been coming back to the dressing rooms wondering why there are so many stains on their kits at this World Cup. Um, this is after the England and Senegal teams, of course, before their last 16 tie. Some concerns over the Albite Stadium turf ahead of their last 16 game. The Times claiming earlier the weekend the pitch worn very quickly during the World Cup group stages and all, a lot of the pitches over in Qatar. And look, the weather is humid. Uh, albeit the air conditioning they have in stadiums so the pitches may not be in a pristine condition uh, Brazil have complained as well but FIFA insists they have the, thing, the whole thing under control uh, so that is the situation in Qatar Ger. I mean looks better on telly looks better on telly uh, victimless crime I think they should just admit and, and say yeah we use green paint who cares uh, finally we're going around the world again in North America to San Francisco did Steph Curry make five in a row from 90 feet no ah, he didn't So I watched the first two and was like oh that's pretty impressive and then moved on yeah so it was very 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 impressive still counts as a view it does Sports Illustrated did this uh, did this video this viral video I guess you call it a deep fake um, but the video in question confirmed by the Warriors as fake a few hours after the clip started making rounds on social media so this was after the the Warriors 112 to 104 loss to the Indiana Pacers on Monday night at the Chase Warriors Center. have gone to shit what's going on I don't know what's happened there like Steph Curry's literally playing better than he's ever played yeah and they can't win a game to save their lives yeah Maybe he's distracted by being involved in potential viral videos. Who knows? Uh, but he's, as you say, playing well. Um, he was asked about it by reporters after that match against the Pacers. He said, the doctored, the edited, the CGI'd video. Nobody believes I made five in a row from 90 feet. He occasionally does it at the end of his pre-warm-up routine, where he goes full court. He's yet to make it from full court in his warm-up. Apparently he hit the backboard against Chicago Bulls before the game last week. Um, he says, I let them be the judge of that, but it's an ultimate compliment to probably be amazed by it, but not think it's outlandish. That's the point here. Everyone thought it was real because it's Steph Curry. If this was anyone else, you would not think it's real. Uh, but we had some fun with it. The Sports Illustrated team coming with some heat. I did make two of them, just in case anybody was wondering. I used them all then. I didn't make any tonight in terms of his look. So apparently he made two. Uh, but the Sports Illustrated video, which we have for you here, would suggest that he made all five. Tell me this doesn't look real. It looks totally real. Why are Sports Illustrated doing this? I what's don't know. The, what's the benefit? A viral clip, I guess. There's one. So that looks pretty real. He's walking back over to pick up another ball. Does it not make you a little bit concerned about Sports Illustrated? Possibly. Nearly hit the roof there. So this one, I think, number three, starts out left and appears to tail right quite quickly, which... Like, looks totally real to me. It's still, I mean, still I can't tell. And he's cheering as well each one. There's number four, labbed in. And the way he runs off after this number five one would suggest... That's five in a row, as Steph says. Boom, he's out the door. I'm so sad that they've confirmed that it's uh, it's not real. But um, maybe someday. And he's, as, he's, as he said himself, he made two of them. Deep fakes are dangerous, folks. Yeah. Are you not worried about the combination of deep fakes and AI? Uh, Is it not? And the explosion of it? You're not a little bit concerned about, oh, we don't need regulation, that's censorship. It's like, yes, yes, it is censorship <laughs> because uh, you guys are all crazy. Right, handling around the world. First episode, leave the last. <laughs> right, keep or stay, keep or go. 
Let us know in yeah. the comments. I'll take no offence. I've oh, it's been seven, called worse. No, it's 9180 is the WhatsApp number. Now, it's uh, 842. John Duggan is here. John, good morning to you. Jer and Shane, I'm trying to work out where I've heard that music before. Probably when I was working in Dunn's uh, 25 years ago in the off-licence. Oh, you were in the off-licence? Yeah. Well, and, on, and on the checkouts. And was the off-licence like a... Was there like a secret... <whistles> a little understanding... Among staff that no, breakages. No, no, no. Really? No, no. I, I'd actually mind the beer, so I had to look like Mike Tyson outside uh, Dunn's. And, uh, Did that come naturally to you? Um, over time. Right, okay. Oh, I'd say you hated this time of year in retail. Uh, I just remembered the songs. Like, that song is a Christmas wrapping by the waitresses. Is, How does uh, it go again? No, I can't do it. I can't. Because uh, it'll just bring back the pain. Rapping by the waitresses? What? I missed that part. Christmas right. rapping, you know. Uh, oh. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Da, 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 da. You know that one? Was it DJ? Was DJ? Is it DJ Mike Anderson? Oh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I do. Yeah, you do. You get that one. All those just seared into my brain, even a quarter of a century later. Christmas was that uh, difficult, all right. The music is apparently Pat Mustard's. Pat Mustard's music from Father ah, Ted. The late Pat Mustard, the great Pat Mustard. Mm. It's great actor. It was. Yeah, we'll have to bring this. Yeah, John, I mentioned you earlier on the show for Did you? Full, dis- full disclosure. Just uh, you were talking in the office. We were we were mentioning at the start of the around the world uh, section about uh, which is tougher between a one four seven, a nine darter, and a hole in one. So Sean Murphy apparently is the only person in history uh, that we can uh, speak of that has done it. Has done all three. So he's obviously done one four sevens. He's uh, hit nine darters in the pub, and he plays off scratch. He's hit a hole in one before. Um, you're of the opinion that if you don't have to change your shoes then it's not a sport, um, which I was uh, both disgusted by and, and, and flabbergasted by. Uh, that would probably include, I guess, darts and snooker in there. But snu- snooker, you, they all wear dress shoes, don't they, in snooker? So you're, so you're, cutting, you're cutting snooker as... And snooker is a sport. Okay. Thank you, John. Um, now, you can play snooker in your runners to the same degree, or slippers, or bare feet. So... I was just probably having a... Having a moment? A bit of a moment about... It's darts, maybe, is, is where you're pointing this at. It's a bit of a moment about the um, entertainment value of darts and the fact that it's very popular and anybody's into it. I used to like Eric Bristow and that in the 80s and stuff, but um, sometimes the entertainment aspect of it kind of grates me a bit around this time of year. It grates me a bit. It's, it does, it, and it's very long. It just seems to go on forever around Christmas. Oh, if it could only just go on for, for more. I mean, darts oh. is Christmas. As Christmas is darts, as I say, every year in this show. It uh, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to Phil Egan, I know, out in the office as well. There are darts fans. Richie McCormick is another. What does it mean to you? Do you know what it means to me? It means it means sitting, eating the leftovers of Christmas dinner with a Bailey's coffee in your hand and the darts in the background. And you look up and there's a big cheer. That's what it means to me. And it, and it fills me with nostalgia. It's like music. Ex- exactly. Hope that there is something good in the world. But, but how does darts represent what's good in the world? <laughs> it's just such a simple... Like who came up with darts? Just throwing arrows at a board. You need a shovel, by the way. Presumably, it's something to do for like from. Is it not like you know, somehow connected to bow and arrow and javelin throwing and like in some ways caveman stuff? It's tough though. It's a tough sport. I'm not saying I'm not. Look, I've I've spoken to dartists, darters, darties. What are dart dart? What are they? The dart d- darts players. I that's, guess that's not that's not good enough. No, it needs to be. It do- I suppose you're a tennis player, you're not a tenniser. Darts, darts, darts practitioners. It's also, it's got the walk-on music uh, element to it, the entertainment value, and, and the nicknames as well. So Mark Frost being the best one, Frosty the Throwman, which is brilliant at this time of year. 
Like if you can turn Mark Frost into an You did not know that in the, on the crappy quiz a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't on that quiz. Oh, I was right. screaming at the radio. All right, okay. I, I knew okay. the answer. Um, they never do darts or snooker rounds when I'm around because they Look, I, I, I've moved on from my antipathy towards darts. I've now made peace that people get something from it. A bit like, you know, some people get something from mass. But I'm, I'm immune from the charms of both of these things. <laughs> it's fair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the comparison is it, it works. We should get you out to to darts hockey and and no, that, give the people what they want. Jer playing, Jer learning to play darts well. I, I, I can't do it well. I'm, I'm going to be as bad at the end of you the get, lesson. We we'll get you a lesson. I, 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 I will at the start. I know a guy who knows Michael <coughs> Van Gerwen, and I, I can get you. We can get Michael Van Gerwen over when he's in when he's in Dublin for an exhibition next or a match. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get him in the studio. And uh, many of these people are impressive characters. Some were pretty terrible human beings who yep. made it to the very top of the sport and, uh, you know, in retrospect may have coloured my view of it somewhat. But anyway, uh, okay, let's move on. Or Aki, let's move on. Oh. Um, yeah, so, by the way, folks, uh, Clonmel goes ahead today uh, and if you're looking to go to Punchtown or Mallow and Cork on Sunday, just keep an eye out, uh, listen to our bulletins because... Hang on, uh, I've just noticed. Uh, so I, I have to look down the barrel of the camera. Something's going on, JD. You're going somewhere. You're all, all uh, dressed up. Well, you know, I, I do multi-million dollar deals in my spare time. This all is right. just a hobby. All right. Very good. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we've, yeah, so the racing at Punchtown of Cork, just be aware of this cold snap. Uh, the big races like the John Durkin and the Hilly Way on, on the weekend. Uh, so we'll just keep an eye on those. Uh, Gary Hurley, two under par at the Alfred Dunhill Championship in South Africa. John Murphy, four over. Keep an eye out for Tom McKibben, folks, in the next few years. Two top 20s already on the DP World Tour this season. 19 years of age, plays out of Rory McIlroy's club in Hollywood and County Down. No pressure from him on Harrington from Harrington on. Yeah, did you see that? It's like he's gonna get a win soon. <laughs> ah, but top elite sports people, that's the pressure they need. That's not pressure. They're used to dealing with that. You need well, to get a win soon. Well uh, golf is so weird. Like you 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 be competing in the open one week and you'd be struggling for your car two years later. Mm. Yeah. Life um, comes at you fast. Hansi Flick to remain on as manager of Germany. No real issues around England's injuries or anything like Declan Rice didn't train, but uh, everybody seems to be okay for the It's France an illness game. that they were saying that yeah, Rice has. Um, that, that, was you got to watch that. Was he listening to TalkSport? Hey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, Raheem Sterling set to return, but probably not in time for this game against the French on Saturday. Um, Keen Healy available for the Leinster Racing game, which is live and off the ball here on News Talk 1 o'clock. We're kicking off the, the new Champions Cup campaign with live and exclusive commentary of that match. On Saturday, um, Arsenal top of the Women's Champions League group, Katie McKay playing last night, but really we're in withdrawal symptoms territory. I would say that Miguel Delaney's article on Qatar and Margaret Workers is an absolute must-read in the UK Independent, but um, we're just waiting for tomorrow, we're waiting for Brazil, Croatia at 3 o'clock, and waiting for Argentina, Holland at 7. Sorry to just point out, you're actually dressed as a snooker player, that's the look that I was... Well, I remember somebody in a message board once said that I, they were very disappointed to, to, to notice, uh, after hearing my voice, that I looked like a snooker player. <laughs> I mean, so I had to take that, but there you go. It wasn't it wasn't meant in a complimentary way? And then I stopped. Ronnie O'Sullivan's sex machine. And then I stopped reading reading that message. That's words. a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, your quick view. We're, we're out of time here, but your quick view on on Martin O'Neill. Well, Martin O'Neill always wants to defend his position, um, um, but in another way, like I don't think I think these lads are hedging their bets, and I don't think players should be really. I think. To chop and change in nationalities is something I wouldn't really, really want to see in football. But Martin O'Neill, whatever, how many years later, does need to defend his position. I, I found some of the stuff he was saying relatively convincing. I definitely would have been of the view, stick him in the team, get the cap, make the decision, take it out of his hands, and then uh, make up whatever is missing in his sense of identity afterwards. But actually, on a moral level, probably the right thing to do is not to force them 
Yeah, and, and, and Martin O'Neill's been put in that position by the fact that players are, and you know there's a degree of hedging going on here because these, these player, players not, might not make it to the top level in England and like, obviously they have but um, Martin O'Neill doesn't need to defend himself um, like obviously he's doing a lot of publicity at the moment but uh, I, I just think it's more of a state of where we are that we're still talking about that rice and greenish. Yeah, I, well, it's obviously because the, the game this weekend and he has the book out, but someone had just texted in Talksport, I think, to say, oh, you should have put him in the game. Which I, is, I, um, I what I mean. Shane had texted in Talksport saying, what are you doing, Martin? Put him in. Put him in. <laughs> it's it more, I think it's more a reflection of where we are and um, that, look, uh, you know, the granny rule is something we just can't rely on. No, we, we definitely can't. It's, uh, it stopped working for us about 15 years ago. Yeah. Right, JD, All lads, see good stuff. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk, as he said. It's 8.51 this morning, and OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. The Leperstown Christmas Festival takes place from the 26th of December to the 29th. It's a great day out for sports fans, socialites, and the thrill-seekers alike. Every day this week, we have two hospitality places for the Leperstown Pavilion to give away you get a reserve table, lunch, chat and tips from top tipsters and much more besides. To enter, comment with a shaking hands emoji on our main Twitter page, add off the ball, and you're automatically in the hat. And remember to ensure your DMs are open because that's how we contact you. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival from the 26th to the 29th of December. Tickets from €35 Euro available at leopardstown.com. Right, it is time for the return of You Had to Be There. And this week we're joined by sports broadcaster Lee McKenzie. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Yeah, latest episode of You Had to Be There. Broadcaster and journalist Lee McKenzie. Very good morning. How are you? I said that you might, I might win tickets to Leopardstown, although I'm not sure if I qualify for that. <laughs> I'd say we could hook you up with some. We could, we could. Uh, Lee, before we get into your picks, and uh, remarkable picks they are, I have to say, uh, we should mention the book, Inside F1, and we spoke to you about oh, the book yeah. uh, a number of weeks ago. Um, this is a, a book with a foreword by David Coulthard and chapters on your experiences of and the uh, the careers of some top Formula One drivers, Schumacher, Hamilton, Vettel, Verstappen, Alonso, Massa and Button. How's the, how's the book process been for you? It's quite cathartic, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting. Um, it's still odd when I'm trying to do my Christmas shopping and then you see a book uh, in the shop, which I suppose is is quite exciting. But um, yeah, for me, I just you know I've grown up in in sport. I love Formula One. A couple of the stories from the book are actually my picks of today. Um, so yeah, it's it's surreal really but I'm pleased I did it it was a bit of a labour of love and then it just becomes a bit of a labour and then when it's done and out there you think thank god I do love it again people who want to get the the book into the stockings I'd imagine they can get it in the the usual places yeah it's on sale um, across Ireland as well which is which is great so um, no it's been well received I've not been sued by any of the drivers yet so I'm counting that as a win (laughs) Uh, Lee you've had the I guess the honour and privilege of attending a lot of different sporting events in your capacity as a, as a broadcaster and TV presenter and journalist um, across a number of different codes. So we might get into your, your picks. So this is, you had to be there. We, we, we asked guests to pick five events where there was a standout performance um, and, and some, just a memorable event that, you, that you've attended at some point in your life. So we might go in, uh, in order, I'd imagine, chronologically. Uh, and I think yeah. we're going to start in 2008 with the Brazilian Grand Prix. Maybe remind people uh, who, who kind of have forgotten this in the annals of history. 2nd November 2008, Felipe Massa wins the race, but uh, there are other stories going on here. 
there were so many different subplots um, and this is one from the book but basically it had just been a surreal weekend it was my first weekend ever working for BBC um, I'd been held at gunpoint on the way to the racetrack uh, so it already started off as a really random thing David Cothard's last Grand Prix and then we had ultimately we might just, Massa we might just get Lewis you back Hampton. in one second there Lee, your, your line is just breaking up very ever so slightly we'll be back to you in just, just a moment um some crazy stories. Well, that's Lee. not a great start to your. Uh, I mean, like held at gunpoint, hundred ah. percent. This is having read Lee's book. It's one of the stories within it, like being held at gunpoint on the way to the Brazilian Grand Prix. And this is at Interlagos uh, near Sao Paulo, and it's manic. You imagine how big Sao Paulo is, but even getting to the track and they have to have security and that sort of thing as well. So, uh, quite a scary start to your your journalism career, I'd imagine, um, especially when you've probably covered events like Wimbledon. And rugby matches to go then to to a Formula One race in in the middle of a fairly scary part of Brazil has to be has to be quite different. Um, so yeah, not an easy thing for for Lee to have done, but yeah, certainly that race in particular probably stands out to a lot of Formula One fans. Two thousand eight. I think we have Lee back on the line out there now. Lee, you, you, sorry, you were saying uh, a very scary thing. You were saying you were held at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hadn't just been shot whilst I was saying these words. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was. Dramatic. We headed into the Grand Prix. Ultimately, it came down to Felipe Massa against Lewis Hamilton. Um, this, of course, is the race where Felipe thought he had won the Grand Prix. Well, sorry, he thought he'd won the World Championship. But the race was still going on. The Grand Prix was still going on behind him. Lewis Hamilton had to finish in fifth. Um, Timo Glock was on the wrong tyres and Lewis did it. Now, for Felipe to be a world champion in his mind, the garage was celebrating, his family were celebrating... Felipe's tears of joy suddenly became a bit of a nightmare and he was just uh, inconsolable. He realised that he hadn't achieved his dream. It was just heartbreaking for him. Lewis had achieved his. It was his first world championship. Mm -hmm. I was in the pit lane. Uh, It was pouring with rain. We were running between garages. Nobody really knew at that time what was going on, but it was just an incredible moment. That must be fairly manic in the pit lane. Like when you're covering it from that level, you're seeing the the strain on the the different teams' faces, and you're trying to decide where you want to be for the you know for the checkered flag. Not easy to cover. Not easy to cover, and there's also still cars coming down the pit lane, and people are everywhere, and it's you know it can be quite a dangerous thing. But uh, to be in amongst it in that moment, it was a moment that transcended the sport. You just knew that um, that was you know it was much bigger than somebody winning and somebody losing. Ultimately, that's what the history books will say. But to be in there in that moment was just a, a surreal experience, and and for me, the, the most emotional sporting event that I've ever been part of. Probably emotional in some ways, I guess, because of location. Um, like, you've got yeah. the Brazilian fans who have a, a skin in the race as well. Like, they, they want Massa yeah. to do it. And, and I guess when, as you say, he crosses the line as the race winner and they see how far back Hamilton was at that particular moment, I know it was close, but they must have all believed. And then it's, it goes from joy to pure devastation for the fans. Yeah, and Timo Glock, who is the guy who Lewis overtook for that position, still, I don't know why I'm laughing, he's a great friend of mine, but still gets um, like death threats and abuse every time in the lead up to the Brazilian Grand Prix. He's like, oh God, not this again, because he is part of this. Like it or not, he has become part of this huge story around it. But the atmosphere at the Brazilian Grand Prix is always incredible just because of the fans. They don't really need an excuse to have a party and make noise. You add in their local driver who could win a world title and the thing was just off the charts. Where does Sao Paulo rank um, in terms of the 
enjoyment now uh, being held at gunpoint aside uh, I, I guess it's one of those that tracks that, that's yeah well that's quite an unfortunate incident but it must be it must be a lot of fun to have the Brazilian atmosphere there as well it is I think when you're in the racetrack um, you love it you know it's a great circuit um, Interlagos is you know between lakes so there's a great atmosphere everything else going around it and getting to it can be a little bit frenetic you know we don't travel in team kit or anything you don't put your sticker on the window you're in bulletproof cars so there is an element of danger about it without a, a doubt but when you're actually there it is one of the greatest atmospheres that you will ever feel in Formula 1 I'm loving reading some of the comments here from from before the race. So the build-up was was juicy because everyone knew what was at stake, uh, Lee. But uh, Eddie Jordan, a uh, bit of controversy before the race. He was uh, these quotes are brilliant. He says, "If Massa tries to take him out, as he did in Japan, him being Hamilton, in order to steal the title, then Lewis has to be ready for it. If he tries that on on, then Lewis has to turn his wheel into Massa to ensure he does not finish the race either. He has to take his wheel off." Like, <laughs> I mean, there is an insight into EJ. Yeah, but it builds up. And some people could probably, it was, they were controversial comments at the time, but some people can probably see that attitude that you've got to do anything to win Formula One. Well, you could say that in any sport, but there are also rules. I mean, if you. Do you want to be known for that? That's the the sort of thing. That you, what's the what's the benefit in that? I mean, that will bring us into um, later on. We'll talk about Abu Dhabi 2021. Mm. You know, Max Verstappen didn't need to finish that race to uh, be crowned world champion. But it's almost a bit of a slur. It's a bit insulting to other people's talents. If you say the only way you can win a race is to deploy sort of dirty tactics. So I think EJ's a little bit off on that one. <laughs> so that's your first uh, addition to the you had to be there yeah. a segment of those on Brazilian Grand Prix and a, and a great one at that uh, we'll move on to 2015 Lee so this is Wimbledon a lot of people over here will have uh, I guess seen you on the Wimbledon coverage down the years on, on the television yeah. as well uh, this was Dustin Brown against Rafa Nadal uh, an upset on the 2nd of July 2015 but uh, remarkable from your point of view in terms of who you watched the match with I think yeah, I've probably seen better tennis matches um, around the world and, and certainly at Wimbledon. And I've been lucky enough to, you know, I go on to court to interview the, the winner of each match. Um, and I've definitely been part of right, really big ones, uh, Federer, Nadal in a semi-final where everything rides on it. But what was so surreal about this one is that Rafa had been in this um sort of pattern of going out of Wimbledon early and in the second round he met Dustin Brown who was um, like 102 in the world and I think we're just losing your, your line again there slightly Lee sorry we'll be back to you in just a moment <laughs> it's a pity uh, obviously great stories from Lee there but uh, we'll have to come back when the line is just uh, picked up the gremlins there's a uh, robotic noises I guess is how you describe it I don't know what's going on there um, oh, it's brilliant though like <clears throat> imagine watching a Wimbledon match I'm dying to go to Wimbledon that's definitely one of the things you haven't been either it's on my list no, no. It's, it's definitely the bucket list strawberries and cream it has to be it probably has to be set at court I don't know how expensive tickets are for, for Wimbledon but it's one of those sporting events that I definitely if it's financially feasible to get a, a good ticket and I'm sure it is um, you probably get what you pay for but you, you want to be at a good match as well you don't want to be at a well there's, there's not going to be any duds on, on set of court it's unlikely yeah uh, so it's certainly one of those sporting events that I'd like to go to Um like I won't bring up the Spa Grand Prix but that's also one Brazil 
I mean, if you're going to get to a Grand Prix, <laughs> Brazil would be better than Spain. It would be, yeah. Uh, and as she said, it was it was pissing rain in Brazil yeah. that year in 08 as well. So, uh, ironically, that's why a lot of people pick Spa, because you get the rain, you get the bit of excitement of the treacherous driving conditions. Um, you don't want it to be dangerous for drivers, but you want a bit of crack. You want a bit of slipping and sliding and a bit of action. We're just moving over to uh, to Zoom to try and prevent that from happening again. To back to the... Back to the right uh, Grealish debate. Yeah, mm. Any English player we've ever had wouldn't have got near an England team. They would have left us for dry if they were good enough, says Dobbs. One solution to the right Grealish dilemma would be to stop picking English players for Ireland. I think uh, it's very, very straightforward, very binary, very black and white. No room for anybody to uh, change their mind as they learn about their heritage or identity. Because that's you're not you're not like that's that's all stuff that we uh, are in, impacted by environmentally as opposed to. Um, yeah, you know, you're not born that. You no. you develop and evolve how you think and yeah. your opinions and your beliefs and what you what you really want. And we've had plenty of players, <clears throat> uh, great players for Ireland over the years, born in England, who decided they were Irish. Not decided they were Irish. They were Irish because they had Irish links and heritage. Of course, we have Lee McKenzie back. I think on the line. Yeah, uh, the Zoom, the Zoom, no doubt will work better. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it, it, it can do. Uh, sorry, Lee, you were, you were, we're talking about Justin Browning as Rafa Nadal and the absolute. Um, the, like, I'd, I'd be bragging about this from the Hilters if, if I was sitting beside Roger Federer in Wimbledon, but uh, quite a moment for you. Yeah, what happens when you're doing these interviews is that you're never just concentrating on one game. If Roger Federer suddenly uh, wants to get interviewed at 20 past two and <laughs> you're actually doing the match on centre court, I still have to run off and interview Roger uh, or any player and he could see that my eyeline kept like drifting off and he was like are you covering this match as well and I said well yeah I am he said do you know much about Dustin now Dustin Brown was 102 in the world he'd actually beaten Rafa the year before on grass um, but he wasn't a player that we really knew too much about um, he he was very good on, on grass as a surface um, but Roger said well I'll tell you what let me talk you through some of this. And I was like, are you sure? And he was like, he's in two shots time, he's going to place the ball here. And Dustin Brown's quite a trick player. He's got some, you know, he had some great sort of, you know, shots, tweeners and all that kind of thing. And Roger was right on every single one. So Dustin Brown ultimately beats Rafa Nadal. But for me, it wasn't even just the moment of the match. It was being able to sit there with Roger Federer who is talking me through how this guy plays and why Rafa isn't able to get into a rhythm. It was like the best commentary I've ever been part of. And he was so generous with his time. Because um, I think actually the thing was that that Roger was very keen to watch the match as well and probably didn't want to be interviewed by me at the time. Um, so it was just a really surreal situation, a really special moment. You've spoken uh, to us before, uh, it was around the book, I think, uh, Inside F1, and you were talking about uh, Michael Schumacher and visiting him at his... <clears throat> residents like yeah. that must be quite special to to sit down with people like Federer like Schumacher who are above their sport they're icons globally yeah I think so it doesn't happen very often I mean I interviewed these guys all the time I was lucky enough to to know Michael uh, reasonably well and go to his house on several occasions um, once took a horse over to compete at the world at the uh, reigning competition that they had there um, but to spend time with Roger for some reason. I think it's because I don't see them day in, day out. You know, I do Wimbledon. It's once a year for Formula One. You see these guys 23 times a year. So rightly or wrongly, the sparkle comes off a little bit. But um, Roger, to me, is the ultimate um, athlete. How he conducts himself on and off the court, I think, is 
what everybody should be aiming for. So to spend a bit of time with him. And he's so generous with his time, not just to me, but to everyone. You know, he goes around, shakes all the cameraman's hand and everything like that. And you know, it's really, it's he makes everyone feel very special. I think a lot of people shed a tear and Roger shed a tear himself when he yeah. made that retirement announcement. Like just one of those moments that sent chills up your spine watching himself and, and Nadal together. And they've yeah. had so many moments on the court, but clearly emotional for both of them. And to have greats alongside each other, you know, I think that's how you sort of appreciate what a great is. Sometimes they're, they stand alone and then somebody, you know, they retire and then somebody else comes along. But we've been so blessed in tennis to have so many quality players battling out against each other. And I think that's really the measure of, of you know, what a great is. A superb addition to you had to be there. So 2015, Dustin Brown beating Rafa Nadal at Wimbledon and, of course, made special by, by Roger Federer being there as well. 2018... Ireland yep. beating the All Blacks for the very first time at home. So I guess we remember for, for Jacob Stockdale's performance in particular, 29 points to 20, 17th of November 2018. It's actually hard to believe it's it's, it's four years ago at this point, uh, Lee. Yeah, it was. Um, I was presenting all the Ireland um, autumn matches as well as the Champions Cup for Channel 4. And it was... Um, our first year really doing that. You know, I'd done a lot of rugby for BBC and things, but um, to be able to go a couple of years before that, they'd um, Ireland had won in Chicago against the All Blacks, but they'd never done it at home. Um, I was with Peter Stringer and Joe Rococo and Jamie Heaslip. And to be pitch side with these guys for such a huge match, regardless, for such a huge moment as it turned out to be was really special. Um, there were so many standouts you know the Irish pack were so good particularly in that first half Johnny Sexton got 11 points uh Jacob Stockdale's try was out of this world chip and chase um he, he just was you know sublime um but also the All Blacks didn't score a try it was the first time in 23 <laughs> tests that they weren't able to score a try that was a huge deal um to be there and be part of that was so special. I mean, it's strange, isn't it, how things have played out because you almost go, Ireland all black, so Ireland will probably do it. I mean, those words hadn't really been said before then. Um, and it's it's just been an incredible time for, for Irish rugby generally. But to be there for that first home win um, over the, the ABs was special. Yeah, I think we'll be talking about that match in Ireland for, for quite some time. And it's funny because sometimes the Aviva Stadium gets a little bit of criticism for the atmosphere being a little bit stale. Sometimes, usually it's in the the football internationals but that night I wasn't there in the Aviva but you could feel it through the TV you must have been the stadium must have been shaking yeah and it was a Saturday night a late night kickoff. I actually started the programme because I think we were up against Strictly Come Dancing <laughs> um, like either The Voice or, or X Factor or something like that and I actually started off the programme by saying sport this is the best form of reality TV you're ever going to get and that's exactly how it played out um, the atmosphere was wonderful. I always like the atmosphere at the Aviva. I don't think it matters if I'm there for, you know, a Champions Cup match or um, an Ireland international. I think it's great because you know it's going to fill out. You know it's going to sell out because you know it's it's smaller than a lot of the others. But I think it's a, it's a great you know partisan crowd, but also a welcoming crowd. I mm. think when you go there, you know, not being Irish, um, I think you never feel out of place. I think it's very welcoming. Just reading uh, one of the, the reports, uh, Robert Kitson, I think it was, in the, in the Guardian, writing on, the, on that night as well, um, saying at times it felt like one of those old school heavyweight bouts, Ali versus Foreman, the whole world watching, body shots shuddering. And that was that was a, a point as well. It was one of those nights where the physicality was 
was oh. unbelievable. From the start, I mean, like when you even just have to watch like the first five minutes and it is nonstop. And let's not forget, like Ireland crossed the line on two other occasions, CJ Stander, Rob Carney, both those tries weren't allowed. I mean, Wayne Barnes, it was one of those ones where you're like, is Wayne Barnes the ref going to get out of here tonight alive? But um, <laughs> he did. It was absolutely fine. But, you know, Ireland were absolutely up for it. And to have two disallowed tries, imagine what, what you know, we'd have been talking about it as the greatest sporting moments if they'd had another 12, or 10 or 14 points. And it, 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 Like any time you're ahead against New Zealand in a match, no matter which country you are, you're always expecting that, that rally in the second half. And that rally came from yeah. the All Blacks that night, as it inevitably would. Uh, but Ireland just managed to hold it off. The defence from Ireland's perspective was was impeccable. Yeah, you should try being Scottish. I mean, like every time that, you know, we're ahead in most sporting events until like the, you know, the last quarter or something, you're thinking there's going to be a comeback. That tends to be exactly what happens. Uh, but this night, you know, at the Aviva, you just had a feeling that Ireland could do it because they had been so impressive. Because it's the All Blacks, you never rule them out. You never rule them out. You're absolutely correct. But I just always sensed that the Ireland would be able to do it on that occasion. And, and the, the Stockdale try you mentioned, 48 minutes on the clock, it is the standout yeah. moment of that match. And uh, holding New Zealand to no tries, as you say, was was, was remarkable. But that, that moment, for, for someone, usually in, in a game like that, it stands out for a performance or for someone standing up and putting their hand up and saying, well, I'm going to take this game by the scruff of the neck. And at that moment, uh, as you say, it was the, the manner of the try as well. Jacob Stockdale really stood up. And everyone, absolutely, Jacob was, you know, just incredible. There were also a lot of people that did really good things, like Pietro Mani put in an incredible uh, try-saving tackle that would have, you know, could have changed the game um, had had New Zealand gone in. Um, but even right until the end, like you know, the clock had gone red. New Zealand were in like this. It was the 16th phase of play or something before. Um, I can't remember if it was Sam Whitelock or Brody Retallick or someone like just knocked it on and that was it. And then the place went absolutely wild. But, you know, every player put in an incredible performance, whether it be we talk about Stockdale because he was the one that went over for that, you know, outstanding try. But across the board, everyone was just at the, at the you know, the maximum level. Uh, so we're sticking with rugby, Lee, for your next inclusion. So it's 2021 England versus Scotland in the Six Nations. And I mean... As a Scot, you, you had to include this one. It's fair enough. Uh, so the 6th of February well, 2021. this England is an interesting one. one. It is, but I've been at better matches without a shadow of a doubt. Like, I kind of prefer the one in 19, where Scotland, I think, were something like 25 points down at half time. It ended up, I think, 36 all. I interviewed Gregor Townsend afterwards, who I know, and he said, God, I thought you would have left at half time. And I was like, I thought you might have gone at half time as well. But what was so special about 2021 even though it wasn't a great game, was that we were in the COVID times. So in actual fact, and there was an article about it afterwards, you know, Scotland had waited 38 years to beat England at Twickenham. And there were only 12 Scottish people, including myself, who weren't connected with the team who were in Twickenham at 80,000 seater stadium. So selfishly, I put this one in, um, not really because it was a classic match, Yes, we won, and it was incredible to sort of break that duck. But it, at the same time, 
for me to be there and see this when nobody else was able to, I realised what a, a privileged position that I was in because Scottish people had waited so long for this moment and they weren't allowed to be part of it for obvious reasons. Um, so that's really why I've included that one. Less Scottish people in the crowd than there were on the pitch. That's that's yeah. remarkable. And we were all working. So, you know, you, what, what was also strange was when you talk about, you know, expecting comebacks and things like that, it was a really odd match. I mean, there wasn't another point scored after 48 minutes. So you could tell it wasn't a classic. But at the same time, you know, there, there was no atmosphere. So you didn't really know where you were in the match. You know, when you build up and then half time happens, but there was no ebb and flow. There was no sort of quietening down of the English crowd because they were unhappy about um, how their team were playing. It just sort of crept up on you. I remember looking down at the clock and then saying to someone, God, like, this is over in two minutes. Scotland could actually win this <laughs> because you sometimes need the crowd to take you on that journey throughout a match. Um, and there just was none of that. And it was so eerie. You could hear the refs calls, as you know, you could hear the, you know, the line out calls, the players talking to each other. And it was just very surreal. Quite special for, for a broadcaster like yourself to get that experience. I know it was in tough circumstances given COVID and we always prefer when crowds are there. But yeah. to be in that environment where you're, you're at a Six Nations match, this isn't a behind closed doors game necessarily in terms of a friendly this is this is a game with so much on the line and you can hear all the calls. That that just adds to the experience, I'd imagine. Yeah, it does. I mean, I did one um, at uh, Llanethley's ground, a Wales-Scotland match. They decided to use that one instead and you're much closer then so you can hear absolutely everything. It was really odd, but you feel like you're just at a sort of training game uh, and then you remember that millions of people outside of this little you know world that we're in are watching this. Um, so... Yeah, it was a it was a very odd experience, but it's one that I'm um, I, I realised how privileged I was to actually be there to see Scotland getting that. Um, I was going to say incredible win. It was it was incredible that they won, but it certainly wasn't a classic rugby match. Just reading here, like it was the hundred and hundred fiftieth anniversary of the fixture as well, a famous fixture England and Scotland. Uh, it's just like history just came together for the Scots on that night and. Cameron Redpath, brilliant. Stuart Hogg, captain yeah. of the team, was brilliant. But Finn Russell as well, pulling the strings. Yeah, Finn put in some great kicks, just kept moving the ball around. I mean, in uh, true Finn Mercurial style, he did get a yellow card as well. <laughs> so he left the field for 10 minutes. But he, you know, there's a reason why he plays with that freedom and he just kicks around, you know, the ball moves it around, puts puts people in a position where they can score a try, um, like Duhan van der Marver did. Um, he actually went over thought he'd got it down, hadn't got it down, and then scored a little bit later on. Um, but it was an odd one. But, uh, Billy Vanapola got a yellow as well. So there were times where it was like 14 against 15 and, and then vice versa. But um, yeah, it was, I don't know if anyone at any point was really in command of it. Um, but Scotland sort of just hung on hung on the best, I think, ultimately. Yeah, incredible win for Scotland. 11-6 to break, as you say, that 38-year that Ducks. That's the, your fourth entry for you had to be there this week. Uh, the final one, Lee, you mentioned earlier on, but uh, all Formula 1 fans, and even people who maybe haven't followed the sport or only have since tried to survive, will remember the, the end of the 2021 season in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it was Max Verstappen against Lewis Hamilton. It was all on the line, and, I mean, it seemed like it was going, going fairly normally until, uh, until yeah. shit hit the fan. Yeah, that would be, that perfectly sums it up. I mean, it would, 
I still struggle with this. It still puzzles me. Um, it doesn't mean to say I don't think Max deserved it because he had won, you know, more races, more pole positions. Uh, if neither of those drivers had finished the race, Max would have been world champion. Um, but the manner in which it was won, the manipulation or the the way that the safety car came out, let five cars through, then stop. It, it was just a mess. None of us could believe what we were seeing. We were all standing. I just remember all of us standing there looking at each other like, what is happening? Uh, I'm with, you know, David Cothard, Mark Webber, these guys. And everyone was sort of shocked silence. Um, because not because, as I say, Max had won or Lewis had lost, but it had been quite a steady race. Uh, Lewis had been in command. Uh, Nicholas Latifi had a crash. They brought out the safety car. And from then on, it was just madness ensued. Um, and yeah, it's a hard one to sort of square off. That's why for me, uh, 2008 Brazil will always be much more dramatic than 2021 uh, Abu Dhabi, because that is Brazil 2008 is the true sense of what sport is. Mm. Whereas Abu Dhabi 21 for me was just, um, it, I don't know, it was just a mess really. Left a bad taste in the mouth, I think, for, for a lot of people, no matter which side of the support you're on. Yeah. Uh, like, and there was a fall guy, as you said, in, in Timo Glock in 2008. Nicholas Latifi kind of became the fall guy in, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. And, you know, everyone crashes. That's the thing. It's, uh, that's, it's not like, he went out there and did it deliberately. He was wanting to finish that race, finish off the season, go for a couple of drinks, have a nice time. But it ultimately didn't work out that way for him. But he's by no means responsible for um, what happened. You know, that's on the FIA. That was on Michael Massey. He, Nicholas, was only responsible for, you know, pissing off his team mm. as his car hit the wall. End of story. Um, what happened after that is out of his hands. Uh, well, listen, it's been a brilliant edition of, of You Had to Be There. You've you've been in some extraordinary positions because of your work, no doubt. So, 08 Brazilian Grand Prix, 2015, sitting beside Roger Federer, uh, as you like, for, for a Wimbledon match. Yeah. Dustin Brown beating Nadal. 2018, Ireland beating the All Blacks uh, at home. 2021, behind closed doors, of course, England against Scotland and the Six Nations. And uh, the 2021 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Uh, like Hamilton and Verstappen are two of those chapters in the book, so people can, can get their hands, as we said, on, on Inside F1 and all the usual spots. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many other ones. I had like best mate winning the first gold cup in 2002. You don't think you're going to get to five and before you know it, you're at 10 or something. Yeah. So it's been a real pleasure to be part of. It's, it's been great. So thank you very much. And thanks for your patience as well. And the, in the dodgy, uh, the dodgy sort of connection as well. Not a problem. We got there in the end. Lee, thanks a million as always. That is Lee McKenzie. Thank you so much, guys. Merry Brilliant Christmas. Stuff. Latest episode of Merry Christmas to yourself. You had to be there in the books. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. 20 past nine on this Thursday morning's OTP AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Tune into the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. That's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you today. One o'clock, OTB Gold, Barry Ryan's The Ascent. Leaders' questions from 3pm. At 4pm, it's our retro panel on caring for the sports person. 6pm is OTB Gold with Luke Keeney, while uh, Nathan, live presenting the chair in the chair from this evening. 7pm uh, start as per usual. You can follow OTB across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for the very best in the latest sports content. After this short break, we'll chat more about the World Cup and the darts. 
with uh, the one and only Phil Egan plus we get to your live comment as well first though Kevin Gaban was live from Qatar on last night's show giving his take on the latest Cristiano Ronaldo situation take a look at a certain point i.e. right now the mountain of evidence becomes inignorable for yeah. Ronaldo but no but that is the case that is exactly the case he's he's probably at this stage now he's a good sub for Portugal and he, he'll never ever get that in his head he'll never ever feel that but mm. you know what Joe I was at the game I said I was at the game in LaSalle last night the biggest cheer of the night was when Ronaldo warmed up during the second half. Sorry, the second biggest cheer was Ronaldo warmed up. The biggest cheer was when Ronaldo came on the pitch. There is still this fixation of Ronaldo is coming onto the pitch and he buys into that himself. That's what he yeah. wants. He wants I think this they're, uh, huge cheer. They're all day trippers no, who are more concerned with their Instagram. No, the new, the I don't think they're fans. actual fans. No, exactly. And any true Portugal fan that watched that game last night could look me in the eye and have a conversation with me and tell me that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is good for Portugal at this World Cup mm. because as, as, a star, as a starter because there's no way and like any football fan would understand it would say there's no way he's any good for that team and we clearly saw that last night and I, I was just I was watching the, the crowd last night and it become it was it was almost just a bit of a, a sideshow it yeah. was like a circus around Ronaldo last night and that's the way I saw it it was just all these fans are here. They're not real Portugal fans. They're not real football fans in, what, in, what, in how I viewed it last night. It was just so many people that wanted to tag Ronaldo on their Instagram account yes. or their Twitter account or whatever it was. And that's how I saw it. And that's what Ronaldo is now. R- Ronaldo is... How, how many followers, Joe? I'm sure you tell me how many followers got I don't know, but, but I agree with you. I got a record. I agree with you totally. Maybe, he, maybe, he, maybe, 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 maybe not as quite as many as you, but he, he's getting there somewhere along the line, yeah. He's become a tourist attraction at this stage. OTB AM With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Almost 25 past nine on this Thursday's OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Phil Egan has joined me in the studio. Morning, Phil. Morning. We were talking darts this morning. Um, yeah, outraged I was to hear some of the smack talk about darts. I was disgusted, to be honest. Yeah. I, I'm surprised at John Duggan saying, um, if you don't wear, if you don't change your shoes, it's not a sport. And Jer, Jer can be um, a bit disrespectful to the sport of darts as well. Not putting words in his mouth, but I mean, it is Christmas. Yeah, I mean, people are talking about the 8th of December because the country people come to Dublin. <laughs> but for me, Christmas starts next week when the dart starts. Yeah. 15th of December. This day next week, yeah, it's it, there's just something there's something utterly nostalgic about it for me. Like it, it it's it's almost on in the background, but then you'll 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 spend t- days and hours watching it intently, yeah, and then you're kind of flicking the head over the shoulder watching it sometimes when you're. It's happier. everywhere though. Like it's you go to someone's house, it's on. You go to a pub, it's on. It's everywhere, and <laughs> yeah. you can't escape it, and you love it. And the standard has just gone through the roof now, where the averages are ridiculous. Yeah. And, I still think one of the best sporting events I've ever watched is Barney versus Taylor, which was New Year's Day 2008. And Barney 3-0 down. 3-0 down, people thinking, he's done here. Because we wanted to see this. Barney was the, the BDO king, came over to the PDC. Mm. Taylor had dominated. Here they are now in a final. Taylor's 3-0 up. No chance for Barney. And my God, what a comeback. Because <laughs> it's funny, because between Darts and Snooker, there was a... There was a peak period. Like Snooker obviously peaked in the eighties with the eighty five final. Mm. In terms of global, you know, eighteen million people watched that black ball final. But it's come back around now where you know Barry Hearn has done a lot of good things for Snooker as well and darts. Uh, and the the increased 
Like, there's a lot of people watching snooker now. Maybe not to the levels that, that it was in the 80s, but it seems to be... It was on a high. It went down in the 90s and noughties, and it seems to be creeping back up. That's the sense I get, and it's probably same, the same for darts. Uh, darts is just different level now. Yeah. Um, like, uh, actually, there was a, wasn't that long ago where you'd have PDC on, and then you'd go to BDO after. Now, the PDC was the, the higher standard, but the nostalgia was there for the BDO, where you were still watching the likes of Wolfie, mm. Martin Adams, and Tony O'Shea play, and... Um, Ted Hankey that kind of thing where all the the best BDO players then went to the PDC but with snooker I think the shorter format yeah but I just love all I I was saying to you earlier I was watching the Moscone Cup last week unbelievable unbelievable USA versus Europe in (laughs) Vegas and Earl the Pearl still playing yeah not as good as he used to be but had the glove on I just it's like something you'd see the equivalent of Kingpin and they have the Weber Cup bowling yeah so I, you know me, I I will watch anything. There, there was the great, um, there was a great Ronnie O'Sullivan. Uh, I think it was maybe a three part series where he went to America with his mate Matt is it Matt Smith from from my TV. Um, American Hustle. Ronnie O'Sullivan's American Hustle, and he went off trying to hustle people in pool. And he played in the Moscone. He did. Yeah, and he and played Arnold Strickland on that show. And like, Steve Davis played as well. Class. And Sid Waddell used to do the commentary. Mark Selby's a very good pool player. Yeah. Judd Trump can play pool. Well, sorry, can play pool. Any of them can play pool. They can but play, but the nine ball, yeah, it's, it's different. A bit, bit different. We're not used to it at all. The golden break. When you get the golden break and the place just erupts. Yeah. And and the thing about the Moscone Cup, it's probably like snooker is so deferential and calm, and <gasps> someone moves in the crowd, there's a phone, everyone's giving you the giving you the dirty look. But in the Moscone Cup, it's it's cute sport, but it's pandemonium in, yeah. the, in the crowd I mean you can't even cough at the crucible <laughs> no and I've been there twice yeah. literally you're just you're dying to cough and you're like yeah. you're almost getting sick trying not to cough yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, the media seats as well what, what once were the media seats in the crucible when I was over there like right in the eye line of the players I remember different different times like John Higgins was down at the table and you feel like he's looking at you yeah because you're at, you're at his eye level he's obviously looking at the object ball but I mean you're terrified you're like I can't I can't move at all here or he's going to stand up and point at me and I'm going to walk out and never return here again And I think that's why when you go to the snooker you realise how intrusive the cameras are oh moving around all the time absolutely yeah. they're right in on top of you <laughs> now they don't move on the shot of course but no. just all the moving around how close they are yeah. and I guess it's the crucible as well it's very confined Yeah. Um, now the masters in snooker is also at Ali Pali where the darts does be the PDC and it has a bit of an atmosphere to it a bit more raucous but the darts, is, that's that's something we've said it for years, Phil. We need to get an off-the-ball team night out at the darts yeah. in the three arena. I, just Grand Prix. any of those non-believers, we need to turn them into believers. Because I think there is a strong enough belief in the off-the-ball office that <laughs> darts is the sport of kings. Yeah, this is an appeal. Appeal yeah. to but the there's, there's obviously going to be a few naysayers, but we, we'll, we'll get them to turn around. I mean, they're, they're entitled to their opinion. But and their give it a wrong. few, you know, Planet Funk comes on first... <sighs> First time you hear it, you think the walk on. What would your walk on tune be in, in darts if you had to pick one? I'm putting you on the spot here massively. Oh God, I don't know, but it would have to be like it would probably be a banger of a dance tune. Yeah, something. Yeah, something to get the crowd on board. It needs to be something that the, the crowd know, but it has to be something nostalgic. Insomnia, faithless. Yeah, I mean that's not a bad one. Not bad. You get the crowd going like. Yeah, I th- like some of them are some of them are excellent. Um, I used to always like Colin Lloyd was Jaws. He had the like that was his nickname, but he had the start of the Jaws oh, theme yeah. tune. But then it would mash into the automatic monster. Oh yes, that was a good one. Obviously, Barney's is, is quality. Phil Taylor had a good one. MVG has a Seven Nation Army 
So, yeah. Someone, one of our producers has commented, Shane, with a bit of Garth Brooks as his. Uh, this is defamation. Uh, once again, I'm not a Garth Brooks fan. I'm more into my... I'd like a little bit of Neil Diamond. Uh, and the English football team have maybe robbed Sweet Caroline a little bit on me. But I probably wouldn't use it as a, as a walk-on tune. You'd have the crowd on your you'd have, well, you'd have side, the crowd on your side for yeah, sure. Big time, yeah. Um, we've got other comments in there, Phil, as well. On someone says, "Walk on stone roses, want to be adored." There's plenty of ones you can pick to get the crowd on side, but people need to know, either need know the words or know the tune. Yeah, Gary Anderson has uh, "Danger Zone." Danger Zone. Yeah, that's Class. a good one as well. So, yeah, a lot of thought has to go into it. Mm. You got to come up with something really good. Yeah, it's uh, important. People think oh, it's just a jokey, jokey bit, but like, no. it gets the crowd on your, either on your side or, or against you. Yeah, you want to be one of the like if you want to become a fan favorite, then <laughs> it has to be decent. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. uh, we get plenty of comments as well, Phil, on the Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, yeah, stuff. Martin O'Neill's comments, of course, he has the book out, so he's going to be speaking. We played the clip earlier of him on, on Talksport talking about, um, I guess, the reasoning and rationale behind Declan Rice never playing uh, in a competitive game for Ireland. Le- Seth and Jer having a discussion in column earlier on and comments been floating in since still has a sour taste in the mouth for a lot of, pe- lot of people yeah the fact that uh, but whatever about Grealish he only played under 21 and fair enough yeah there you know the, it was kind of a general feeling that, yeah he was getting more distant with, with the squad he didn't mm. want to be called up Declan Rice obviously played for the senior team and you thought yeah this is just going to be a natural progression and then all of a sudden it went cold it was at the Moldova game and it was a game that Obviously, we needed to win because it was a crucial qualifier, but there was a feeling, why couldn't you bring him on? And I get what Martin O'Neill is saying, that if they don't want to play, and that's always been the feeling that, look at the the current England team at the moment, there's a lot of players in there that qualify to play for Ireland, but if they don't want to play, then... Can't force them. Can't force them, no. Danny says on uh, the YouTube comments, Rice exposed Ireland's way of producing players. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I mean, there are, there's something in that. In that, no, I get it. Like we can't depend on. No, we have to produce our own players. Yeah, and we have, like, we definitely have loads of talent in terms of the players that we can produce in the in, at youth level. It's about then making them good enough to be international footballers, mm. and that comes from having a, a stronger league. And the only way that's going to become stronger is investment. Yeah, you can't keep. Going back to, yeah, he qualifies to play for Ireland through a grandparent. Like you can do it the odd time, but you can't build a whole team around it. Do you know the way? Do you know the way the Irish people love talking about death? We love getting grim and talking about bad things. Mm. I think that's that. There's something in that in, in why we keep bringing up. And I know, I know Martin O'Neill has been this has been brought up in an interview. But we love talking about what would have been. Oh, imagine the midfield we would have had. Yeah. We love looking back at Saipan 20 years on. Like, there's something about our psyche as a nation. Other countries would just forget about it and move on. Forget about it. Yeah. We as a nation just, we hate it, but we love it. Yeah, but actually, even there's something in it. Go back to last week and Germany knocked out of the World Cup. Yeah. Um, but the, the goal that ends up doing them in is the Japan goal against mm. Spain. Could you imagine if that happened here? Oh, Team 33 job. Yeah, we're still... Let us through. Yeah. Like, let us through to the last 16. We'll play We'll play someone in a penalty shootout for the right to... Nah, give us a bye to the quarterfinals <laughs> and we'll, we'll say nothing. But well, the Henri Handball is a perfect example. We haven't yeah. let that go. We never will. No. <laughs> we never will. I mean, we still have to... I, I don't want to go in too much depth into it, but, you know, if, if the goal was disallowed, which it should have been, it's not to say that we still would have gone on to win. Yeah, well, that's a fair point. 
Yeah, there's that assumption made, isn't there? Yeah. Like that we would have and could have. If it had gone to penalties, that we're going to beat them. Yeah, we had that this divine right to beat France in penalties. Yeah. It just wouldn't have happened. Um, who knows? Exactly, who knows? Someone commented. But it is good to think of. Oh, we love it. Yeah. We love it's it. It's very much the, like bullseye, let's have a look at what you could have won. Yeah. Is it Mrs. Doyle in Father Ted says, maybe I, maybe I like the misery? Yeah. I mean, maybe we do like the misery. We love talking about it. Yeah. Just dwelling on it. Another topic that came up during the show, Phil, was... Mexican waves hate them <laughs> hate them I think we should just leave it there on, on yeah. your, on your and it waves. comes like it's it's handed down to you yeah. my dad obviously brought me to games when I was younger just couldn't understand them it was like the game's going on oh when you were a kid you could, you didn't even like them no you, you, you weren't getting involved as a 7 8 there was, there was um, some, I was caught on camera there at one of the oh, Ar- Ireland international games in Tala yeah. where the waves started around me and look at disgust <laughs> Whatever the the male equivalent is of resting bitch face, that's yeah. all I had just when the camera went staunchly, to me. staunchly against yeah, it. Just looking around and disgust, going like, "There's a game out there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Concentrate on what's going on on the pitch. You just weren't having it. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, it's one of those things. <laughs> the other one that's uh, caused a little bit of controversy. Just want to get your take on it before we wrap, Phil. Is the level of difficulty? So in our around the world segment this morning, we discussed Sean Murphy posting up. He's the only person, the only confirmed person who's hit a a one four seven, a nine darter and a hole-in-one in golf. Three pretty difficult skills. Uh, he plays off scratch. He's got the nine-darter in the pub with his mates. He's a decent player. And, of course, he's had the, the one four sevens. Level of difficulty. Like, which... Or how would you rank them in, in terms of top three? Which is the toughest? Uh, I'm going to start with the easiest. Right. Okay. The hole-in-one. Fair. Because I've nearly got a hole-in-one. <laughs> I've got hole-in-one in pitch and putt, but not in golf have come very close like you're talking two inches kind of thing yeah yeah so if I can do it or get very close to it then it should be if you're a scratch list. golfer yeah the nine darter and the 147 surely the 147 is the hardest because there's what there, is it 36 shots 15 reds 15 blacks 6 colours yeah you're, you're hitting 36 shots mm. you obviously have to have immaculate cue ball control your yeah. man has played a bit of snooker but where's the darts the darts has to be nine very specific darts. Yeah, and there's different routes to go as well. That's you do thing. have a little bit of an opt out if if you miss a. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I think that's. The, I think. Oh, that's sorry, not if you miss, but if if one of your treble twenties is blocking up the the. The only argument you can go down for nineteens or. Yeah, the only argument is if you go off if you, if you're not on position on a, on a red or a black, you can fluke it somehow on a snooker table. Yeah, as uh, there's, uh, John Virgo would say, there's six pockets on the table. It's only 12 foot by 6. I saw Ding Xiongwei get a 147. In person? In person. It was in Galway. Ah, brilliant. It was sent to cover the Players' Championship in Galway for off the ball on a Saturday afternoon it was and Ding Xiongwei got a 147 against Mark Allen. He went out of position once where he was up around the blue with the cue ball and he realised, yeah, I've, I'm on for a 147 here. Took the black on, got it got the 147 unreal unbelievable just to watch somebody that was the only time he was out of position but basically to have that cue ball it's always like I played snooker to an okay level I played say like division 3 in the Dublin Billiards League yeah but to have that control over a cue ball where effectively like it's like giving the ball to someone in their hand and saying oh, that's where the I old snooker cliche couldn't have picked it up and put it any no, place it any was unbelievable yeah. I saw I, I, the only 147 I've ever seen in person was an exhibition at the Hillgrove Hotel in Monaghan Mark Allen against Ronnie O'Sullivan Yeah, and it was just one of those moments you're like well, how's he doing this 
Like this is this is sporting perfection. It is snooker perfection. So uh, you think one four seven is the yeah? It's the toughest. And what did Sean Murphy say? He agreed with, yeah, with yeah. that order. One four seven nine daughter and golf. And look, he's the only person who's done all three that we know of. So his opinion rests. I think. See, there's going to be. I'd say at the darts championship starts next Thursday. I'm thinking there'll be a few nine darters. I'm yeah. Whereas the World Snooker Championship, you'd be lucky to get two. Yeah, you, you take getting one. Yeah, I think you're looking at. I'd be. I think there's going to be a fair few nine darters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. there'll be one in the final because the standard will obviously mm. be that good. I think back to when Adrian Lewis got one in the the final. Yeah, it's becoming more regular. Yeah, they're just the the standard because the competition is so fierce. The money, the prize money. So if you want to be part of that, you got to keep practicing. Yeah, well, as Phil said, next Thursday. The 15th of December is when the... The Real World The Real World Championship. Championship. I mean, uh, the World Cup in Qatar, I know it's... Still have that as well. Sure. Big deal. But the darts will have started before the finish of the, the World Cup. Yeah. Oh, there would be an overlap. It would be unbelievable. Spoiled. Heaven. And then the Premier League, of course, over Christmas in the Leopardstown as well. So, uh, yeah, we're spoiled. And then January 3rd, as we say, is the uh, the final of that World Darts Championship. Peter Snake by the right, the defending champion. Phil, great stuff. Thanks for popping yeah. in. Uh, OTBM. Uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, before we go, we are delighted to announce that David McGrath has been selected as the winner of today's Leopardstown Christmas Festival giveaway. And for the rest of you, a reminder to tune in to OTBAM every day this week for your chance to win two hospitality places for the Leopardstown Pavilion. The Leopardstown Christmas Festival takes place from December 26th to 29th. OTBAM back tomorrow morning with Adrian and myself, and it is a bumper show, Ronald O'Gara. Kevin Gaban, Alan Quinlan, all joining us, plus the retired GEA referee Morris Deegan will be in the studio to reflect on his stellar career officiating. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.